<laughs> so yeah, welcome to the show, Stills. You do a lot of interesting stuff alongside co-hosting with Willie, making a bunch of music. We was just playing your album, the one that you just dropped, like right before you came on. So absolutely wonderful. Like, and I heard I appreciate Scott, that. I heard Scott beats a few times, which which made me feel a little bit excited with it. <laughs> I like Scott. Shout a lot. to Scott beats. But um, yeah. yeah. This is really about you, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna run through the story of your life a little bit, and I realize a smarter first question may be, where are you from, Mister? Like, like, where are you born? Is a better way to put it, Mister Kutcher. Yeah, yeah, I was born actually in Kansas City, Missouri, like the center of the United States of America, right? And about I was only there for like maybe six months out of my entire life, and then moved to New Jersey. My dad was a fucking coach. So he was like a professional football coach. Mm-hmm. So he was just taking like jobs, you know what I mean? Like he was assistant coach, right? So when you're on the ground like that, you just gotta do what you gotta do. So I was in Jersey for a little, like maybe two years. I remember, you know, as an infant and then bam, three years old, went to Buffalo. And that's when I really had my main, my main memories. And then I actually went to Arizona and then came back to Buffalo. So it was funny because I picked up a lot of West Coast shit during that time. I was only in Arizona from like the age of like nine to like uh, 12. But I was able to pick up some shit out there and then went back to Buffalo. Oh, and we're going to run it, through this in more detail. Yeah, that. yeah. I just wanted to baseline it. I'm learning how to like ask where people are from first because I realized, okay, my real smarter with the context of my good old token first question that has a whole story and everything that builds up and whatnot. But like Absolutely. now people know a little bit that's going to take place in Buffalo <laughs> when we ask the question. <laughs> um, so basically my girlfriend, she's washing these dishes and she's got her phone playing mm-hmm. and she's got that Black Eyed Peas song going, I got a feeling she's dancing okay. and she's vibing and she's doing her thing and this is like mm-hmm. nowadays times and i realized it's kind of crazy to think about how this song is now like dishes music and it's like exercise music it's probably a lot of people at the gym run into that shit and then you're like but right. wait a second 10 years ago you'll shut out lamef with the raid 10 years ago back in time you would basically be in the club maybe a little bit drunk mm-hmm. as fuck dancing in circles and shit to the song with the people trying to get a little bit late on instead of doing dishes same song different place right and there. time completely different Sucks. intention purpose and vibe to that track so i thought right. that was super nifty right like music changes mm-hmm. which also means that if you really really think about it autumn club songs today autumn cardi b's and stuff all of that is going to end up being in the future dishes music the kind of exercise music that people are vibing to in the same way but that means musical journeys are kind of in flux right they, they change over right. time and the different aspects of music are just kind of always different so with that i realized when we talk about our own musical journeys we often start at this adolescent period when we create our own identities and we latch onto these identities and we start caring but really our musical journeys start like way before that, like all the way back when you're real young and you have those earliest memories coming from Buffalo, New York, you know? All day, all so, day. So I know for myself, I can remember my dad having these gray boxes that he would link together with the wires and hook up to the speakers and he would be playing these tapes all the time, the Zeppelin tapes and the, at nighttime there was the 90s EDM shit. And then there was like at Christmas time these weird Christmas remix albums that would come only on Christmas time. And then only my mom Christmas. had these shitty like 
disco knockoff tapes that she would get at the corner store type thing. And, like, I don't yeah. know what else she had, but a lot of musicals, I think. Anyway, lots of stuff that was, like, there that kind of, like, created this, like, foundation for a lot of the things that would come later on in my life. So I think to start this off right, it would be really cool if you could walk us through the musical soundscape of, like, the youngest Catrizi that you can remember and what it sounded mm -hmm. like and what the technologies was like and the vibes when you were growing up. Yo, the vibe was crazy because, like, you know, I'm an 80s baby. You know what I'm saying? 82. So I had some of that funk perspective, right? So I remember, like, you know, my dad had, they had the vinyl player going. You know what I'm saying? So I remember, like, one of the first songs I was vibing to. I remember my dad showed me a videotape of this. I was probably, like, four years old or something like that. And they had like some some artwork where it was like I think it was like a um, a rice maker or a bean maker, but it looked like a guitar. So I picked that bitch up, right? And my dad was playing like my mom and was like so into gospel music. I'm talking like real hardcore gospel. I forgot what vinyl they had, but it was like some groovy ass country gospel music. And so I just started getting to it. So I'm in there just like grooving on the guitar, like jumping off the fireplace. You know, you know how many little think that the fireplace is like a stage. <laughs> so you're jumping up there, going ham with it, right? So I remember just grooving and, and, and sitting there and, and also growing up in that fucking militant, going to church, black family. I'm always going to church. And then my mom forced me to be in the, church, the children's choir. Okay. So there you go again, right? Now, flip side to that, my mom, my mom's side, the Whitley family, she comes from a, from a family of 14 brothers and sisters. And That's literally, yeah, and literally each one of them could sing. Like a singing ass North Carolina girl's breath. My mom can, can sing the hell out of us some gospel music. Like she would do the solo joints. They would call her up every once in a while do the solo joints. So I'm sitting there like watching her and literally not even probably noticing that I'm probably getting training. Because my cousins can sing on that side, the Whitley side, they all can sing. So as a young child, like talking like four or five, I'm in the children's choir. Now, I remember like my mom trying to restrict me from music. So the first like vibe I got was like this group called Sounds of Blackness. Now, Sounds of Black <laughs> Sounds of Blackness was funny as fuck because like it was like fifty people in this group choir that was trying to go platinum and go tour you know how that go that's not gonna work for a while it's gonna work for like a year and then like yo can't pay seventy thousand y'all to do one fucking show <laughs> so like so like i but but the sounds of blackness was hot right and then like also again back back then like bb and cc winings now these are these are like some gospel motherfuckers right now i'm gonna say motherfuckers because bb and cc i don't care they would really tote the line with like christian music and like r&b like they wouldn't even say jesus in the songs or god they'd be like he and, and sometimes it'd be so soulful you'd be like yo are they are they fucking or are they like are we what are we doing in here because i'm, I'm kind of so my mom really didn't like that she was no she was like old time religion give me that old you know and i didn't hate nothing like that shit either right so like but when I first fell in love with hip hop, dog, and rap, I first fell in love, but I never forget. Like I always fuck with rap on the East Coast. I remember when I finally got to Arizona, I started really falling in love with the West Coast. Go ahead, go ahead. So before we get to Arizona and following, yeah, yeah, rap, yeah, yeah. You already okay. just dropped the fact that you were your family's mad talented, so you got like seventeen whatever mad singing skills going on, and you got some training. I appreciate going on. that. 
and you're in the middle of a youth choir at like four or five years old. So what's it like? Yes. So does that mean you got to get the choreographs and you got the whole vibes you learning? Yo, yeah, like the like I remember like being in like first of all you had an outfit like what the colors is black and white right and then you got it then you then you had to sacrifice your Saturday morning because we got choir rehearsals. Oh, shit. You know what I'm saying? So fuck cartoons and fuck, you know, pajamas and shit like that. Just chilling. We got we got choir rehearsal. So we got to go to fucking choir rehearsal. So this is like resentment at first. I used to hate this shit, right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's like I'm like, I did not enjoy doing any of this shit. Like, I used to hate my mom. Like, I, fuck you. Like, what am I doing this for? And so I saw that. So and then point I didn't even really try to sing. I'm like I'm in tenor. Like every knee shall bow. Every like I just didn't go fuck. Like whatever. You know what I mean? Like I did not want to be it. But we did have a fly Corey. I'm, I'm talking like when I got to to like a little bit later in the choirs. Like yeah, we had to like do a little, not too much, because again, it's that old time Baptist church. You can't be up there dancing too much. Like nowadays, they doing some other shit. I'm, I'm like nowadays, dog, I don't even like it. Maybe I'm maybe I'm some old motherfucker because I don't even like that shit now. Like, I ain't going to church, motherfuckers out there dancing and shaking your ass and shit. Like, <laughs> but back then we was on the stage, was on the same scene. Them old time motherfuckers. You could be five, six, seven years old. You better not. You better not one do one little shoulder shiver that was probably a little bit too much or they they literally take you out the choir and whip your ass in the back of the pews. Yeah, that's serious like, though. But that's serious militant Baptist shit. Yeah, like serious down south militant Baptist shit. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it was crazy. So so singing and, and music really wasn't like I, I kinda resented it a little bit. You know what I mean? I didn't really find my voice. No, but like what's crazy so about I mean to be fair, you're like five, most people most people at five yeah. aren't really finding their voices so much. But you are right. actually doing something that I think a lot of artists struggle with in their thirties and that's disciplining. Like actually just taking yes, that like association that music maybe is fun, but it's not like fun, fun. It's actually a lot of work, work and a lot of discipline and a lot of sacrifice, but you're like learning that at like five, which is kind of huge. Plus the, the mm -hmm. working with others. <laughs> oh, that's an yeah, one. yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, because I, I know there's a church circuit in Montreal that actually a whole bunch of artists, uh, at least two or three I've even talked to, have gone through this, like, one church circuit in, like, Montreal. I can't yeah. remember which one. So, like, it really does foster a lot of creativity and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so y'all were doing the church thing, which I can relate to, actually. I, I, my church had the rock band version. So they had okay. the safe guitars and the drums at the slow tempos. You couldn't go too fast, right? Like, that's what it right. was. You had to be, right. like basic ass four chord come on we have mm -hmm. we have a band here you should be satisfied it is so much better than not having a band don't get me wrong right but um yeah so <coughs> before we move on from like this patch we got to ask because like there's other elements and shit right so mm -hmm. were you into drawing and things was that something that was a passion for <coughs> yourself when you were like super young mm. super young no i wasn't into drawing like that i was into like I ain't gonna front, bro. Sports. That's mm. it. What kind of sports? Was sports, you doing? baby. Anything possible. Anything I get my hands on. Like, football. Because my dad was a coach, right? So that was the second hand. Like, I knew at like seven, I wanted to play football, professional football. I knew I was either going to play professional football or basketball. I don't know how, I don't know how that mindset came in at such a young age, but it was like I was already training out there. So you couldn't really fuck with me on a level unless you played some sports. Like, mm. For instance, I'm in Buffalo, right? You'll, you'll love this shit. 
Bo Jackson's nephews are in the cul-de-sac across like the way. And we end up and we end up knowing each other because we were like the only few black people in that area. <laughs> so we happened to see each other. And they came over and the parents came over and next thing you know, I'm I'm so they end up being like my childhood friends. That's all we did, bro. Is is football, basketball, baseball, hockey. You know what I mean? I wasn't we didn't I don't know why we didn't put the skates together because we would have been ill with it. We just was like on that street hockey, you know, running around shit, but I love hockey. I literally do. Like, I literally almost regret not being able to skate as a young age because I actually feel like I'd have been amazing at hockey rather than football, right? So we, we did that. And then, like, I also – what I love to do was really, like, not really draw. I wasn't into, like – I wasn't even into, like, cartoons, G. Like, I, I didn't think that shit was funny. Yeah, I can get I can a young age. age. I kind of, like, remember watching cartoons because they were there. But um... – Yeah. I definitely wasn't athletic. <laughs> I certainly was not. My, I was into video games. I definitely played video games at that age, but that's still cool. So you're athletic, you get into music training, lots of discipline things going on. Um, but uh, basically, oh, I, I know what you're talking about. Bo knows this, Bo knows that. Because uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the fucking scenario song. That's why I know what the fuck yeah, yeah, Bo yeah. Jackson Bo knows this, Yeah, Bo knows uh, that. Bo knows Jack. The Bo can't like, rap. Who the fuck yeah. is Bo? And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. I had to go <laughs> Google that shit and like, learn about that from yeah. fucking Tribe Called Quest. Um, uh-huh. All right, so you're basically <coughs> an, a little athlete. So why did y'all end up going to Arizona? What ended up making So my, yeah, my dad ended up getting a job um, with the Arizona Cardinals. Oh. So he's on... Um, He's literally uh, a Buffalo Bill. He's a linebacker coach. So then some things happened. He actually had, like, this is some exclusive shit. He actually had, like, beef with Marv Levy at one point, the head coach. Like, they weren't, they just weren't getting along. So he ended up taking a job in Arizona. Willie's asking. That was sad at the point. Yeah, yeah. Willie just wants to know if your dad started uh, coaching with the Bills or was he there, was he with someone else beforehand? He was with he was with, he was with uh, Kansas City Chiefs before that. <laughs> and um, he was also with Rutgers University. So he started off at like Rutgers University College, and then we went to Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and then he actually flew to Jersey on some like USFL shit. Like we were uh, in New Jersey; they had a USFL league for one year. Check this shit out: uh, New Jersey Generals was the team. The GM was Donald Trump. No shit. That's serious. I met Donald Trump at like three years old, yeah. As a dick, even then, so. Um, <laughs> he was. He was a fucking dick. Like, my, my dad was like, he was a fucking dick. He's been a dick all since since the beginning. He just was there. He didn't even fuck with the team. Um, yeah, so then it was that last one year. Yeah, he didn't. He just like, he's, his numbers, man. It's business. This is what it is, right? So, so then I mean, he still got some fly players that come to that team, right? So. And so then he has then that I, beef with the next peoples, and then yeah, uh, he got beef with the next people. Like they ran him out. It was on some karma shit, right? Yo, listen to this. I'm giving us some some game right here, bro. So it was Buffalo Bills, and the year was 1990, right? The year before they go to all these Super Bowls and shit. So we go to Arizona, and um, we're you know my dad's with the Cardinals. They have a tough season. They don't make the playoffs. Then the Bills go to Super Bowls. Boom, Scott Norwood. You know what I mean? Now, I was still a Buffalo Bill fan because I'm young and, and we just moved to Arizona like six months ago. So I didn't give a fuck about that. I love, I was, you know, all my family was still in Buffalo. I'm still a fan. This is like when I was like nine years old. 
or some shit. So um, Scott Norwood happens. Bam. You know what I'm saying? My dad's like sitting there like, you can't believe it, but he's kind of laughing too. I don't know what that means. I'm not even. I okay. Can't... So I'm sorry. My bad. So Scott Norwood, my bad. Let me, let me, let me, let me cut it down. I'm going with some sport, like sport, like what the fuck is that? So Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills go to the Super Bowl. We were in Arizona. We had just left Buffalo. My dad got beef with Marvel the season right. before. Okay. So, so, okay, so the Buffalo Bills go to the Super Bowl versus the New York Giants. They have a chance to win the fucking Super Bowl. Scott Norwood is the field goal kicker that for three points could have just, you know, it, it would have been 22-21. He shanked it wide left, like, which he just, he missed the game. He missed it. Like, it was like a Super Bowl yeah. clutches, like 36-yard or two. Like, it was like so many. So that happens, right? Bam. So that happens and i'm and i'm i'm sad my dad's left well then the bills end up going back to the super bowl and never winning like it was a torture situation like five years straight now meanwhile we were in arizona <laughs> so then marv levy the guy he had beef with i think he might have thought that maybe he was getting punished because they had the beef was illegitimate like my dad and him like he just ran him out of town because he wanted his friend in my dad's position so he made the job harder for him, like just like you know what I mean. Well, then that in that position ended up being the weakest position on the field. And then in '95, he begged my dad to come back, like yo, let's not squash this beef. I need you back for the Bills. And so we went back to Buffalo. Wow, yeah. wow. Mm-hmm. So it really like they could have won allegedly. Let's not say hard facts. If your dad had stayed. But then they, on some petty shit, got rid of your dad, and then they did it with yeah, yeah. Now, we can't say that history changed, but we can say that that happened, which leads somebody to believe that that was relevant enough, you know? I mean, you know, you know, it just, the spirits work in crazy ways. You never know, man. You know, I'm not trying to say that, <laughs> but, you know, right, I'm being an asshole. But, yeah, yeah it was, it was it, to me, it was like, yeah, it was, it was story, relative. Though. And from your perspective, that's what happened. Um now we didn't say that it was directly related we just say and this is the sequence of events and what it could look like if you interpret these oh, events away that's right that's right <laughs> but while you were in that's arizona right. i do believe you yeah, said yeah. that you fell in love with hip-hop so why don't you tell us a bit more about that yo let's get to it right so i we had the box i don't know if people remember the box this is like mtv the box was like the one you could call up and order um, the videos, right? But they were showing some underground shit. And I remember my mom had a black and white TV, dog. Like, this is how fucking old I am. She had like a small little black and white tube TV in a, in a side guest room, so to speak, whatever. So I'd go sneak in there and put the box on because my mom was so strict. You definitely ain't watching MTV in front of her. <laughs> at that time, and at that time, MTV wasn't even popping like that, right? Like they wasn't really running it. VH1 was just playing like Madonna and dumb shit. So I wasn't. There was no hip hop anywhere really. Like that's <laughs> actually really was not important. Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, one of the things I've learned is, or it comes up especially at this time frame, is is how hard it is to consume hip hop or even discover yes. it in the first place. Because yeah. it's not like today where everybody's growing up on YouTube or even when I came up where like music videos did have a much vibe at an MTV two and shit, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so like we didn't have that. We had the hardcore. So when you put out a video, you know, it's for the street for real, right? So <laughs> so I go I sneak upstairs, go to the box. 
I'll be hearing some shit, man. You know, first I started hearing a young, you know, my first concert, um, and it was in Arizona. My first rap concert was in Arizona. I went to, and it was Crisscross, mm. and uh, it was a pretty good one. I remember me and this, like me and like this, this like dude. I think he was probably like my age, nine or something, and we just ended up like seeing each other because it was mostly girls up in there, right? But we wanted to dance. Like I'm nine. I ain't looking at girls and shit. Like I'm just trying to I'm in there just dancing. And literally that's what I was doing, just dancing my fucking ass off to crisscross. And they had everybody in there though, because like it was still Arizona, still a lot of gang shit going on, whatever, da da da. But everything was safe. So that was one of the first concerts. So I was so after that, I was like, I would go sneak up to my room, go check out the box. Man, it was hardcore West Coast shit, like South Central Cartel, E forty, Spice One. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, DJ Quick, of course, Snoop, you know, Dre was was in the mix. Just so it was, was pumping. Just to mm-hmm. pause. So Willie wants to know if they made you jump, but also Golden Jenny from Norway is always saying that a lot. Uh, saying that it was her first concert, too, is uh, Criss Cross. Mm. Tell uh, Willie. Tell Willie, Willie. Yes, they made me fucking jump, dickhead. Because mm. if jump, jump is the goddamn number one hit eventually motherfuckers are gonna jump you know what i mean it wasn't like house of pain and shit where you just go and ram the whole song and shit nah anyway (laughs) yeah they made me fucking jump that's amazing so so like you know i'm getting the hardcore to box shit i mean and i get a couple east coast things but i'm on i'm in arizona I'm, i'm loving arizona i'm thinking maybe this is my new home i'm fucking with kind of the west coast but of course Pac was going crazy you know what I mean? Yeah, that must be whatever. Great. So you're like nine, ten as Tupac is coming to fruition. Coming to fruition, like he's just like he's just like starting off a little bit. He's not even like really on the west. He just quite yet. Mm. Like it's like he had just dropped. I think uh, Tupacalypse now. Fair enough. And I was like, I just love this voice. You know what I'm saying? I love this. I was fucking with it a little bit, but you can kind of you couldn't really catch it in the box because at the time West Coast was killing the box. Like they were just ordering shit that's all you saw like you know what i mean like, i remember one of the tracks came out hard the brat functify came out i went crazy for whatever mm-hmm. reason i love that shit it's a good album though right? yeah mm-hmm. it's a real good album right so my first fucking tape my my homie i don't know how he did it but he was like yo he asked me at school which my mom who's my best friend chris but he was a he was from a chinese cat literally chinese cat and um He's like, yo, what do you want for, you know, your best friend? She's like, oh, what, do you, what do you want for your birthday? And she, I was like, and, and I just wanted, I was like, yo, I want the Snoop Dogg tape. And I wasn't really thinking back then. I'm like nine, 10 years old. It's doggy style, right? That's the first shit. Unedited everything. Bam. The cartoon porn pamphlet. Yeah, the cartoon, all that shit, right? So I get the tape deck, the tape cassette. I got a boom box in my room. And I got these fucking earphones that I got from America West Airlines because <laughs> we was flying at that time. It was throw your earphones. So I took them bitches home. I had like six of them. I'm bumping that shit. I couldn't stop playing this song. I couldn't stop playing Doggy Style over and over again, right? So, yo, I think I, it was going on for like a good week and a half. Finally, my mom come in, right? She's like, what are you listening to? I knew I wasn't really supposed to be listening to that shit. Cause she knew who Snoop Dogg was at this time. Snoop Dogg was like, you know, everybody was like the Snoop Doggy Dogg guy, the character in the air, you know, especially the Christian, the Christian black, like all them, 
that man that says bitches and hoes. Yo, they uh, really like. They really do. They, they went hard. The Christians really do like. And I say this because my family, I went through the church is as a kid too, and I know for a fact mm-hmm. that my parents would tap in with the other parents and they would collaborate on what you were not allowed to listen to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they like this is the guy right here. This is the groups. He's bad. Like you couldn't even say the name. You didn't even know. You couldn't even name one song. I don't care. He's bad. So then that resonated because then my mom had to take me to school because it was like a private school, so we had no bus. So she wouldn't even play rap at all which made me want it even more. Like she went, she would just play, yo, we was in Arizona, the radio station, I'll never forget, bro, because it was pounding in my fucking head. It was K-Light 98.7, that's it. K-Light 98.7 FM, soft rock. <laughs> yo, soft rock all day. All right, BG, Chicago, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's minute by minute, minute. Like all this classic rock shit that I had to listen to because she, I would try to go to the radio and it'd be like three songs. And of course, then all of a sudden, you know, Dina Howard, come on. I'm a freak until the day, turn it off. Boom. Like she was just not into it. But then I was like, she didn't know she was just feeding my hunger. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm 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 catch that shit later on. I'm fucking, I'm gonna go later on and put the radio on my earphones and just fucking listen to that shit. So the more she didn't like it, the more I got interested in it. So she comes in the room, all right? What are you listening to? I'm like, bam, doggy stuff. She knows what it is, boom. She's like, well, yeah, this is what it is. She takes off the ear jack, boom, plays it. And of course, it's like the worst song. Like, <clears throat> it ain't no fun uh-huh. if the homies can't. Guess who's back in the motherfucking house with a fat dick for your motherfucking mouth, boom. She she pops the goddamn tape set. Yeah, R- breaks it, rips it. Whatever, like you know how Christians do. You gotta destroy it so nobody else will. You know, if I throw it in the trash, nobody, somebody's gonna get this garbage. I and legitimately the know what the fuck you're talking about. To your <laughs> letter, my dad used to. I I remember him ripping up a book one time. <laughs> yeah, like somebody else is gonna read this shit. Like, come on, yo. So, I mean, she even did that with. She even did that shit with like Ace Ventura, Ace Ventura Peg Detective because she didn't know it was, it was as funny as it was. So we watching it. She got so mad she ripped it up. I'm, I was just like, yo, that shit is hilarious. But you know how Ace was. Ace was wilding, like, you know what I mean? So back to the music, like, you know, my, now my dad was cool, though. So my dad was cool. So I ride with him and he'll let me listen to some shit because he knew, like, he wasn't on that. Like, he's like, yo, come on, relax. Like, he around football players. He, you know, he just came to Jamaican, but he get that culture in him. So he, he don't give, he like, he like, come on, man. Like, he a good, he look, good little kid. Like, he ain't doing shit. Like, relax. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he was doing, my dad was doing wild shit anyway. So it was just like, when I get in my dad's car, <laughs> you know, like, he pumping, he put, he busts out the Cohiba and he'll listen to whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, Lunza was wasn't too bad because he was, he stood on like that shit like crazy shit. But like, so that's what happened when I was in Arizona. She just kind of like fed my hunger, mm-hmm. my not, like not liking it, and I didn't like her. So it was like because she was so disciplined. I didn't like the church either. Like y'all gotta be in there. But at the same time, yeah, I was. I went to this this church called Pilgrim Rest Baptist Church, bro. You know, my choir was like seventy of us in one choir. This church is big. It was like seventy of us. And like we went to the competitions and we blew it down. Like it was crazy in Arizona cooked church choirs. It was like people passing out like from heat and shit. I'm singing so hard. Practicing, like it, it was crazy. It was insane. 
And um, <laughs> to have that training, I remember being by the live bands in the choir and, and listening to them being intrigued by the bass, you know what I'm saying? Being intrigued by the piano and being intrigued by the drums. Because some of them cats, I remember them cats was like some street cats too. So they would sneak some street shit every once in a while. I remember one time they, bug it, they, bust, they busted down real quick. They bust G thing in the middle of one show during practice. And I thought they were going to do it at church and they did it. But they just snuck it in because it was like, it was just it, the whole thing came through. We was like, oh, and they just never did it again. <laughs> but you know how it was. Like they, they had that like, so I, so I, so I felt it. I felt that there was a different type of like vibe out there. I'm like, I don't want to do no fucking gospel song. I'm not doing this in church. Man. I got something else to say. If I ever do this, you know what I mean. I didn't know if I was ever ever gonna be putting out music and doing it for a movement. But I never thought that. I just thought that like I'm not gonna be singing no fucking church choir. I know that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, fuck that. I'm not going to be doing no solo. No, no I don't want no solo. Okay, but here's the thing, man. Church music's fucking weird. Can we just be real for a second? Yes, it I is. I don't know about, like, if the Baptist and stuff, it might be a different vibe, but, like, half the shit is just love songs to God. And I'm not being mm. hyperbolic. It's like, I love you, God. Come hold my hand. Envelop me in your unending love. And it's yeah, like, it's like, it's weird. And, and I don't mean it's it like. It's very weird. Or it'll be like over the hills and on the mountaintops with the sheep. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck is this? It's not 87. No, because like, no, you're right. Because dog, let me tell you, I was in Arizona, right? And my mom put me in this fucking all white private Christian school. And guess what? I mean, you talking about ready? Our God is an awesome God. That's my favorite God, song, though. The techno remix. That's, that's, that's just, just kind of gangster. I said, all right, I bang a little bit. All right, I ain't gonna lie, I bang. But the rest, I mean, there of, some them, other the ones, rest like, of them are not. No, there was one. There was one song where, like, they had us in the choir, right? I forgot who my fucking choir director was, but it was like, it was like very caressing and holding, like, in your loving, like, and she wanted us to sing it. So, like, it was just like, no, yo, no. God does not want you to make love to him, he needs you to work. Bro, get your shit and get, and get together. That's why, like, it was funny because, like, the I'm sorry, but, like, the more conservative European, they'll say, <laughs> type churches, like, with the Christian ones, the, 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 they were caressing. Whereas, like, the Baptist black is, like, more, like, hood, like, hard. We got to get it. We got to make it. Like, because people are fucking, like, coming in there. They dying and shit. Whereas, like, it felt like this, you know, I just love you so much because my life is so good and that, like, all this shit. Yeah, so it was a difference to me. I didn't like that caressing, holding God shit because I, I'm coming home and my mom is teaching me like, yo, God, it will kill you if you sin or, you know, you got to you, you better you better not lie or you will die. Like that part. I do. Ten not. commandments. I, for, for, it was all Bam. about like, your soul will go to hell if you heaven. you like even to this day. And we're going to get to like fast forward. But like when she was like, sees my tattoos. For a while, she used to be like, you know, it's when the Antichrist comes back, he's going to identify you. I'm like, what? <laughs> My dad's all into the church and tribulation shit. So it's like, the church. Yes. and you're like, why? What? <laughs> anyway. Like, what are you talking about? So, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I did not want to be in that church choir. And when I got back to fucking Buffalo at, at 12 it was that's when like the music was really i was able to independently really listen to what i kind of wanted to listen to because at that time the east coast was really the radio station was much better as far as like now i can get to my roots my east coast shit so i really started getting into it then like you know i remember my first rhyme was like 13 
know what I'm saying? Like 13, 14. Throw some shit. What made and it was like hilarious. To, what did you, what made you decide to be like, nah, I'm gonna write some shit? So like my cousin from Jersey came up one night. We was both just like bored. And he he had like the um he had like the uh what tape did he have? Because his parents were cool. Like, so we had, he, oh, <laughs> he had, he had, yeah, because my mom and dad was fucking, my mom was an asshole. My dad was cool. My mom was a fucking asshole. Like, he had Capone and Noriega, CNN. So he brought the tape up. And um, I don't know what happened. We just started, like, writing to it. Like, because we played it, like, over and over again. So we know how you do. We don't, we didn't have no damn instrumentals. We just tried to, like, fake, like, we was in the rhymes and shit. Mm. So I remember, like, it was like, oh man, it was just like, oh yeah, it holy was just, like, shit. Maybe that's why people like vocal samples too. as much as they do, because your vocals, hey, right? Because your vocal samples wasn't like all as prevalent as they are in like the '80s to early '90s hip hop. I'm sorry, but like, haven't done enough for me. Not at all. They went the, Not at all. But then all of a sudden, if y'all was actually like sitting there rapping over other people's raps, it's almost like now the beat has vocals. It, holy shit, that's a big one for me. That's at a least. big one. Yeah, actually, you're right. That's actually a good fucking damn. That's like a premonition right there. You're right because we, we would do it all the time. Mm. The instrumentals didn't come out to like I think like '98, '99. You know, we used to you know you buy the single and shit, buy a fucking single, not no fucking you know go out and get the fucking single. Or the whole tape. And then the single might have the fucking instrumental on that shit, but there ain't with nobody rapping on that shit like that back then. Whereas mm-hmm. now, everybody, you know, whatever. So. Well, now it's like um, you can just get type beat slash recreation slash bloop, 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 bloop. Absolutely, right? So. I just, like, beats, we just. Man. It's the greatest shit ever. You just find the karaoke it is. version. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. And you just go hard with that, right? So, literally, like. Yeah, I just wrote some rhymes and then, you know, again, back in the fucking church. My mom was militant with it. So I'm back in the fucking church. I'm back fucking in the choir. But this time I'm older. So I'm kind of like finding my voice and then like saying like, all right, if I'm up here, I might as well do it. All right, because you got some girls in here. Now I'm getting, you know what I'm saying? Now you got the girls that look kind of fly in the choir. You know what I mean? So now you got me, you know, yeah, you know, you got a little east side chicks out there in Buffalo looking real good. They ain't my cousins, you know what I'm saying? Checked in with that. Because, <laughs> yo, you got to check in where I'm from, man. You might be cousins, so they good. I've legitimately so, never had a person say that to me in my life because I'm very northern <laughs> Montreal city, right? Like, all the factors to, like, 1.2 family, you know, whatever, two cities. <laughs> but you're right. Like, that's a possibility <laughs> because the math of, like, 16 aunts and uncles just plays yo, out. close, man. I was close. There was one that was pretty fucking close. Really? By marriage. Know, you know what, I'm uh, how, what year? What year this is? You're, you're, it's ninety five when you're thirteen. Yes, ninety five. Okay, so we're about there right now, is what I'm understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Understood. Yes. Yes. Cool. We're at ninety five. Awesome. We're at ninety five right now. Yeah. So like, and ninety five was live to me. Ninety five. I mean, I remember really, like that was eighth grade, right? I remember really getting into like. Guys like Milk Bone and like, you know what I mean? Really New York hip. Because I'm back in Buffalo, so I'm really on my New York shit. And that's when Biggie really hit. I remember I, I thought one How more. far is Buffalo from like NYC though? Yeah, so we not part of NYC at all. We like six to seven hour drive away. So Buffalo is just upstate, really. That's what we consider ourselves. Like we align with like Rochester and Syracuse. We don't really like the city is just the city. Like it was hard because we love the city hip hop. 
but they drowned it out the Buffalo scene. You feel me? Like you come from Buffalo, like oh, the fuck is that? What, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Harlem. Like, and I had I had an aunt in Harlem, so I've been to the city plenty of times. I've, I've sat on stoops and been through Queens almost every through Barrow, but Buffalo is where when I'm really raised. That's who I am as a person, right? So at 13, I remember Biggie was. I thought one more chance remix was the greatest song ever. I had it. I had it fucking memorized down to a T. Like I could probably do it right now, but like it was just like that's how it was. I thought Biggie, one more chance was the illest shit. Now, mind you, I still had that West Coast. So I'm the only one out there in Buffalo at at, at a you know at this age in '95 bumping like Sugar Free and E40. Mm-hmm. Like, I guarantee I'm the only one out there bumping that shit. Cause you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, now I gotta keep it low. Cause my mom is still on my tape shit. So I gotta hide tapes and shit. So I had this like love for hip hop where like I would hide my shit really good because my mom would search my show. She was one of those parents. Like, oh yeah, I get that. Well, I bring it with me. Yeah, yo, it's it probably back to that church shit, that coordinated mm-hmm. effort on how to be a super parent. Yo, they're gonna hide it here. You're gonna check these spots. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, she was. I mean, I mean, it was crazy, bro. But the, the thing about it was, I always kept my room clean, so she, you know, she get tired of searching my shit because then she had to clean my room up again. Dig. So oh, I, I caught question. that shit real early. Uh, yeah. Ismail wants to know where you were hiding them. Oh, dig. So listen, I would hide them like literally at the bottom of the dirty clothes camera because I was more doing laundry or chores. So I had them in the middle of the load, either bottom or the middle of the dirty clothes hamper, or I would just take them with me in my book back. Everybody would just take all my music with me. Sometimes mm-hmm. I would even take the insert out, scrape over the uh, <laughs> scrape over the contents on the tape, so it looks like like a blank cassette, and then I would tape over um, that scraping of it and put like mm-hmm. like some gospel shit on there, like, <laughs> but it's it, really dude. like. But it it's really like, like some, um, but it's really like though, like one one time it was really the chronic. Actually, I put the chronic over, and it was just I put like uh, Chronicles of Jesus, that's some amazing. shit. It sounds like the, um, the VHS tape, uh, porn tape grind, was, <laughs> <laughs> like the same thing, but with late night movies. It is, it is basically it is. <laughs> it is. I had to be on it, man, because she would catch it. You know what I mean? Or like even if I bought like a fucking, I remember like, yo, being, I remember John B. I was trying to get some R&B shit in my life. And I remember buying John B. It's the same year too. And she was I, just like, I'm in the, I'm R- in the fucking, yeah, J- go, ahead, go ahead. Well, R&B would be like bad because it's pro-sex. Yes. So like she's looking at it and she wants to see the, the, um, the titles of all the songs. And one song was Pants Off. She's like, what's that? Pants Off. You are not allowed to play track 13. And, and so all this time, of course, you know what I do. Okay. Bitch, put the earphones on. I'm playing track 13. Like, pants off. Great. The song wasn't even that good anyway. I'm like, the song ain't prepping anyway. Like, you know, whatever. But it just fueled me to play. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it just fueled me to be like, I bet. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's okay. Nah, I hear you. So, yeah. That's 13. So I'm, I'm out there just like vibing to it in buffalo back and then like they had a they had a really good radio station 93.7 wblk was popping dj hooker and break of dawn mm-hmm. this is when this is when radio was really good 95 96 are you, are you able to like pick up the stretch and bobitos and all that stuff what do you mean like i don't know how far buffalo is and how far radio travels and how good radio oh yeah is. like 
Because like, really, now you could probably. Move. Now you could, but back then, fuck no. Uh uh-uh. uh. We were seven hours away drive, so it was like, uh uh-uh. Fair enough. I guess that's like much distances. Fair enough. Yeah, it's much closer. Y'all closer to that, right? Like, we would. Mm. We would really, we really had our own identity of our radio station. Could you pick up all the shit. Toronto shit? Like you're a lot closer. We could, yeah. Now we could pick Toronto shit up all the time. We had love for 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 crazy Toronto love. Like Karna Fischel was when we get to that when he dropped. We was we thought that. I mean, he was almost like we dropped because we was right. We listened to that shit, and at the time we even had CTV on a, on the local uh, TV stations. So I was watching Canadian TV all the time. So yeah, that's serious. That makes, I mean, it's not often you have a guy from the States sitting there going, yeah, I was watching CTV and uh, Cardinal. Was, yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, like he dropped and we was like proud of that shit. Like, yeah, that's T.O. And I'll get to the, I'll get to the T.O. shit when we get right. Like that was the, I was when the shit got real, but yeah, like 13, 14, um, you know, singing. I, I didn't really, I, okay, peep this. So 13. I'm in the fucking last year of private school, but we, my, my mom decided to put me one more year in Christian Central fucking academy. Because I'm going to public school in, in high school, so I can't wait. But she's like, no, I'm out here. So mm, they had us do, they, they had like this. We ended up, I ended up getting chosen for some like, like singing group. And we had to do a presentation. And we sang, one sweet day by Mariah Carey featuring Boys to Men. Right? So I remember I had this part in the middle of it that was popping. It was Wanye's part. And it was perfect for my for my tone, right? Like I remember doing it over and over again. I think that shit sounded so good. I'm like, bam. Then all of a sudden at the last second, they told me to do the beginning part, which was like way more lower and horrible. It was like sorry. I know it was like so fucking pussy at the end of the day. It was just like just horrible. And I end up doing it, right? So so now my love for music is getting kind of curved. So I'm like, yo, I thought I was about to blow out here. Cause it was like I was sounding good too. I'm like, yeah, I got my, my mind got I can sing, I can sing. This ain't shit. And then all of a sudden they totally changed it. So now I'm like, yeah, fuck you. Whatever, nigga. I'm back on this, but I'm, I'm back on playing. I'm playing sports too. I'm like, I'm gonna be singing. I'm about to be singing on the football court and basketball court. Fuck y'all. Boom. When I when I get my money, I'm buying my own shit. Like I was already on. I was like in my mind, like fuck you. I don't need to be singing anyway. <laughs> so I'm not right. Yo, but even what while. you just said is big, right? Like mm-hmm. so you're a teenager. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're invested in a part. You get committed to it at a psychological level. You get, yes. you know, it plays with you a bit, you know, and then at the last minute, the teacher for X, Y, Z reason or whoever flips that on you and puts you in a very uncomfortable position. Yo, I can tell you right now, man, if somebody were to come at me and change a corporate presentation last minute, I'll feel like I want to slap them for a second. I won't do You it. know what I'm trying to say? Like, you might, you might, like, you might be beef for real. Like, are you but crazy? Like, like, I'm an adult blah 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 skills and understand how to politics and be smart about it but you're like young you don't have that yet and they're fucking with you in like deeper ways where the emotions are bigger and more powerful so it's just interesting that that happened and then it affected you like that it did yeah yeah it really got to me like i remember being really low-key with it doing my little choir one too but like really just listening at that point like i didn't want to be in the, in the mainstream i don't want to be a part of it with the public school you know what I'm saying? That was a little better because I was having, you know, 
a little easier access. I remember my one boy would started burning CDs and shit, right? So I was able to like get access to a couple of albums that I wanted. You know what I'm saying? I still had love for the West Coast though. It was really, it was really crazy. Like I remember one of my favorite artists at that time was Corrupt. Like mm. I was just, you know, that was my man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Streets is a mother is a classic album to this day, if you ask me. So, um, but I was also, again, East Coast. And I remember at that time, East Coast and West Coast beef was going on and shit, right? So, um, I wasn't into the KRS-One shit. So is that I like didn't, you I wasn't weren't allowed good. to like listen to West Coast? Like, let's just be real. You're the first person I think that's really like emphasized I was like a teenager while that was a thing, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And that impacted stuff like, like, cause you I mean, you're teenagers, right? So, you know, certain things matter more to people, like what you listen to right. and identities, it's all bigger. So I guess you're like, just kind of not allowed on some y'all are East Coast shit. Basically, like, it was just like, I mean, being a teenager, we in the East Coast, I'm in Buffalo. I'm listening to this shit, like by myself, you know what I mean? But then, one of my best friends who was younger, Bree Woods and shit, we had a whole crew, like a, like basically all the black kids in that area who were like, it was a bunch of us, but we were just like riding the border, of the, we were riding the border of the hood, like middle class, right? So it was a bunch of us, we all knew each other. And I remember his parents was cool as hell. He and they didn't give a fuck about that. You can buy what they didn't care about the music. So we would go in his basement, play video games for like 27 million hours straight. And then that's when I would get my fucking fool, like he would, you know what I mean? He started playing all the time. He would play everything. He would play everything you could fucking imagine. He'd play Rock Kemp. He'd play, you know what I'm saying? He would play whatever you want. Uh, Wu-Tang, he would play. At that time, I got introduced to uh, Gangstar. That's when I first heard Gangstar. And like really started going hard. Big L, um, P. Rock. I always knew these cats, but like P. Rock, CL Smooth. I really started, this is like 95, 96. So I, re- I was, I had to go back a little bit, right? Like 90, I was going back because I was on the West Coast and I was, it was a different sound. So he bumping that old, you know, two year old shit, but I'm getting kind of felt to it. I'm getting, you know, new to it, but then I'm getting kind of caught up. You understand? So then once I got kind of caught up, being over there in a couple of months and just really hearing all that shit, now I'm able to like, really really hide this good music from my mom and then of course when i'm in high school now i can now i got the cd player on me so i just keep the music on me and then i was playing sports too right so i was at the fucking you know the pre-game music but now that was just for this music that was i always wanted to fucking listen to mm. so i'm getting fed all through there and then now you know and, and still going to the choir and singing. so i wasn't like trying to rap I, I was again i didn't think my mind was really on sports at this time you know what I'm saying? I knew I could do it. I knew I could put music together. Like I would do it every once in a while to play. I knew I could freestyle. I knew I could make music. But my at that time, my mindset was, you know, football, sports, basketball. Of course not. I got the, I got. I'm going. I love communications. I love making commercials. I love uh, visual arts. So at that time, my school was good on on that aspect. So I was. I knew my lane at a young age. Like I'm at least do, if I ain't gonna do that shit, which I know I might not do. I want to open up my own fucking advertisement firm. I like doing commercials, all that shit. Or I want to do it on radio. So you figured already at a young age that you were going to get into ads and that kind of shit because school had that available and showed you that? Absolutely. I was in the States. This is the thing that my high school was Williamsville South High School. And that fucking high school at that time, especially, was a great public school. I mean, we had access. This is 95, 96. My freshman year, right? 
we had accessibility to like Mac computers. Yeah, like like we have four we have four computer labs. We were teaching obviously, you know, keyboard, but we also had like a green screens and like zip drives where you can like we were making highlight yeah. tapes and I was and like like did like niggas like yeah, people were talking about like Photoshop and shit. Yo, we was doing that in ninety five, ninety six. That ass. I was making uh black and white pictures into color. I was changing all that shit. I was doing all that shit ninety six, bro. The very first um making websites. I was doing that in ninety six. Like PowerPoint presentation. That's serious though. That's like really, really cool shit. Uh Willie wants to know if any famous people you went to school with. Any famous people that I went to school with. Or went to that went to school. school. Oh, went to my school, Winsville South High School. Oh man, not really. It's <laughs> my school. I'll keep it G, I'll keep it a buck for what you will. I'm the only G to go to the NFL. You know what I'm saying? I don't know who else dropping albums, mm -hmm. but you know what I'm saying? I, I'm not, I, I don't know if anybody's doing what I'm doing. I don't think they are. Fair enough. There's some athletes that came out. I think there's some, I think there's some hockey players that might, but I don't think they're none of them are like really legit. Like I've seen a few, but. Willie is correct though. The American schools always do have someone, and this one did have somebody, and it's got treasy. Appreciate that, bro. Appreciate um, that, bro. Uh, but like, okay, so you're going through high school, you're doing all the stuff, you you kind of can do all the music, you're not focused, you're playing the sports, and then uh, what yeah. comes after that? So basically, just focus playing the sports, and then really just i was involved really a lot in the east side of buffalo i had a lot of friends out there this is like the hood right so we would just really go and again my whole life was like sports so if we was playing sports like we would go to the courts on saturday and play at like four different courts at the same time we ducking gunshots we ducking all types of wild shit. <laughs> like yeah, like, but we was having fun as kids, man. You know what I'm saying? We was outside with it so much. Um, just surviving off Doritos and Gatorade and like Starburst and some shit and pork rinds, whatever. It's a Haitian treat. And just playing like 30 games of basketball and or we get a bunch of dudes that meet up, bam. You know, we get the open field, tackle football. Hell, if you're in the blacktop, you might play tackle football, fuck it. Like, you know, doing things like that. And then at night, basically, you know, having just it was at that time it was PlayStation One, so okay. it was like you know what I'm saying NBA Live was cracking, Madden was cracking, like mm. so you know we really took it took it took it took it to heart to keep it G like that's what we did, man. Um, I wasn't I was away from a lot of uh, like I didn't know nobody smoking like that. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know nobody drinking like that, right? Like everybody I was around was like we was runners. You know what I'm saying? We was out there just running. And, and even when we pull up to Castle, was doing that. They knew what time was with us. He was an athlete, kind of dude. You know what I'm saying? So, growing up in that point, I was like middle class area that was pretty nice. You know what I'm saying? Going home, but then like on a weekend, my mom literally to get me that black experience would drop me off at my cousin's house, or you know, make me stay right there on Mastin and eating and people in Buffalo, if y'all watch this, y'all know exactly what block that is, Mastin and eating Eastside Food Belt every fucking weekend. And she thought I was just getting, you know, hanging around some better black kids that were, you know, different. Nah, man, I was in the hood. We was in the hood. Like, we was heavy with it. You know what I mean? These were, again, these are the church, these are the church friends. You know what I'm saying? Because my mom did not 
she wasn't going to the average church. She would go to the blackest the black church in the hood of the hood spots. So I kind of commend her for that because then it gives you that that upbringing. You know what I mean? Like I've seen a lot that she don't know about. I've been with a lot. I, like you said, in the choir, same time, you know, I got people in the choir. I got one dude in the choir. He was in the choir with me. He's doing life right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like lockdown, life, not getting out ever. So things like that happen too, right? I mean, he was right next to my best friend. I have a Bible with him signing it. Yo, to my man, TJ. Like, you know what I'm saying? So... It's crazy man that's serious definitely um <clears throat> i know montreal has its stuff definitely not like my version of montreal that's the way i can frame it yeah i i didn't grow up with anything quite like that but it's it's a powerful context i mean here's the thing like you listen to the toot, 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 on a griselda record today and you're like we're playing <laughs> fucking basketball ducking gunshots when i'm 13 and i'm like oh maybe that's why you know, West Side might be like. I mean, I'm gonna tell you like this: like Buffalo is <laughs> a city that we are not proud of being, you know, a crazy ass fucking city. However, you know what I mean? It's kind of it's kind of refreshing to see rappers like West Side come out and, and put it, put that, open up that, you know, put that hourglass on and say, let me let me let me introduce y'all because it's. Let me tell you something. He knows too. It has, it's it like right this year has been a tough year. That's getting worse, obviously. But it's gotten, I mean, I grew up in some tough times. It has gotten a lot better than when it used to be. When he, even me and him and Westside were all the same age. Like Benny, we're all the same age, right? Like that, that late, like little 80s babies and shit. Like it used to be worse, man. It used to be a lot worse. You know what I'm saying? Like it was for real. It was serious in Buffalo. Um, and, there was times where, you know, luckily our church was uh, was off limits in the streets. Like nobody was like messing with the fucking church or the or the, or the school hashtag across the street. But then, literally down the block, not even you know, I'd say, man, you can probably walk there in less than thirty seconds. There's an all girls teenage jail. And it's like spray painted up barbed wire. It's like the worst of the worst females that are in here, like locked away, like juveniles, only like 13 year old females that are killed or done crazy shit. And then literally up the street is the Johnny B. Wiley Stadium, but that was the AKA the rock pile where the Buffalo Bills used to play the first football games like literally and is now turned into just basketball court at that time it was hood it was just it was just like brick households spray paint like it was like we was in there sometimes playing ball in those courts and like had to like really do a sweep of like needles and or like there might be some just some bags or and or literally like dog you might you know out there playing i remember one time we were playing 21 and like a bunch of us was out there and shots rang pretty close and but but nobody won the game 21 yet so we kind of like checked in and like ducked and waited and we see people running and then we just all right now finish that shit up come on boom <laughs> like we just finished it up and literally we don't know somebody could have got clapped a little bit of, you know for us but we just were so used to it it's not really a thing to be proud of it's just that's what it was man in the states is a lot of cities like that but buffalo it's pretty serious because we're small too. Like, like you can get to the west and the east so quickly. So there's beef 
they will find you and they'll handle it very quick. There's a lot of internal jungle justice. Ain't nobody snitching, so cops can't really solve nothing. So, I mean, I've, I've heard of things like that guy got hit and then he got hit and then he, like, it was just a back and forth. And the cops can't even stop it because ain't nobody saying nothing. So you get caught in those cross. I used to pray for my mom every time. She'd go to choir rehearsal and Bible study on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. And you know what I mean? And she's a lady walking through the parking lot in the middle of the fucking night. Like, I used to be like, what? Is this really worth you going to fucking, you know what I mean? To go see God in the middle of the east side off Grada Street, you know what I mean? Like, these are streets that these dudes talk about. Fucking uh, Conway's from May Block off of Walden. That's literally east side, not too far from Chitawaga, and it's a very dangerous area, man. You know? Did you just, I mean, it's just like you can't walk around. Like, you walk around, you're not known. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see some shit, feel some shit, some shit going to happen to you, possibly. You know? So what they're talking about is, is real, but it's not like we brag about it like that. You know what I mean? We don't mean that he blow. I'm Buffalo. I'm hard. Like we just like it's not. It's not cool to have more murders than Toronto. You understand? That's the funny thing about it. I put that out there right now. A lot of people in Toronto. You, you guys look at the murder rate. We have almost three hundred thousand to a million people. And y'all got ten million. And how how do we outdo y'all in the murder rate? That's a bad city. It's a very dangerous city. So and that's nothing compared to like any other ones that are bigger. It's just I mean, ask the FBI. They said it. Buffalo was one of the most dangerous cities. It was like third last year. Trenton, New Jersey, and think somewhere else was another one. But Buffalo was right there. And you would never think about it. But come on, like, you know, I've seen it. I've felt it. I've saw I've millions of stories I can tell you about shit happening there. But it just it molds you into a person and you speak about that in your music, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's big, man. <clears throat> yeah, thank you for sharing that. Like, mm. I don't know. I'm a firm believer that well, it's called Bridge the Gap because of that. It's like not everyone is going to know what that experience is even remotely like. That was like heavy, <laughs> you know? Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. It but, was. Um, um, like it just yeah, adds yeah. weight because, you know, a lot of people might listen to that and then like mimic mm-hmm. it without fully understanding what's going on. And then <laughs> yeah. when it's like you have a choice not to and then you choose to yeah. maybe pursue it, whereas like yo you're playing basketball somebody's getting shot at and then you just say eh whatever and finish the game i mean that's, yeah it's a big reality that's all I, I don't know how else to put it it's a, it's a heavy big, big it's reality a, it's a it's yo it was just like i mean i mean dog i mean there was one point i remember somebody getting clapped up the street um and the body just lay there in the middle of the street for like six hours in broad day, like the people had called the ambulance, called the cops to come over. They just didn't come. Wow. So he just laid there. You know what I'm saying? Or like, um, um, I mean, being in the city grill, uh, which is a downtown right off Chippewa Street, which is with the city grill incident. And I mean, it, this was a situation that was that was sad because if if four people get shot in Buffalo, you probably know one of them. That's how the city works, right? So this one day, this dude literally in one party spazzed out, shot nine people and killed seven. Um, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, one of them just happened to be a female that was walking across the street. He just happened to look over there and was watching, just pause, and he saw her looking and, and shot. Now, how Buffalo operates, he went, he, he, you know, left. He went on a crazy manhunt, whatever. I think he turns himself in a week later at the news station because he clearly was like, he was just a drunk fuck. I mean, they threw, they, they found a gun, all that shit. 
he had went down to North Carolina, but the person that drove him down to North Carolina was one of his boys from Buffalo. They shot him right in front of his mother. Like they didn't play. Like Buffalo doesn't play around with that shit. There's a lot of jungle justice that happens in the area, which we call jungle justice. We're just like, we'll just handle it ourselves. Crime is kind of crazy. You might just handle it. That's it. So is it like a city that's really scary? No, because at the same time, we're not trying to just proactively scare people from there. You know what I'm saying? Like you come around there, ooh, boogie boogie. Nah, man. You might have you might have the homies actually look out for you. You know what I'm saying? But well, at the same that, time, you got to know where you're at. Usually the word justice implies that somewhere along the way you did something. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to speak or <clears throat> I don't know, but I just know what the word justice means. Somebody did something. Absolutely. So if you don't yeah. do anything, there should be no reason for justice is what I can understand from that. Thus, it's not Absolutely. Scary. Absolutely. That's blessed. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so... What happens after high school then? So high school, man, I go. I end up going Buff State College uh, to play football and to go to college. You know how the fucking states are. Go to high school, go to college. <clears throat> so um, I end up, but I was playing football too, right? I, had, I was heavily recruited coming out football and basketball, but really for football though. So I end up going to Buff State College. And that's when I moved out of the house at 17, moved to Lisbon Avenue, Bailey, but also stayed on campus. I also stayed in Buffalo I'm on the west side at this point. You know what I mean? Buffalo stays on the west side. So now we're into like west sides full of Spanish and Im- like immigrants, like everything else, but mostly Spanish. But the west side was also rough, man. You know, fucking around on the west side, you got... Uh, Ellie, you got man, <laughs> you got so many gangs. Actually, I can't even really. It's it's actually funny because it's, it's a really small area, but there's probably like seven gangs. So we on the west side, and with the college, college was cool though. You know what I'm saying? It was the typical American college experience. Go to school, um, cheat in class, don't really learn too much, just learn how to hustle. Um, you know, do a bunch of wild shit, try to stay eligible for football. Trying to, to party too much and get somebody pregnant. That's that was basically the gist of college at that point for me. Like just wilding out, not really learning anything because it was funny how like in the states, like some colleges were like not even as good as some high schools. So at that time, Buff State was kind of going into a middle transitional period, but they still were a good school. But their technology wasn't up to up to par like that. So I spent four years really there. It just, I mean, it was a waste of time. Not really, because I love my football. I love my stories. I have best friends to this day that I, I met through there and, and experiences that I'll never forget. A lot of street shit. I ended up bouncing downtown in Buffalo, New York, a place called Soho, which is on Chippewa, frankly, still to this day. And really putting in work, I ain't gonna lie. Like, this is the number one bar in Buffalo, but at this time, you know, ain't no cameras, ain't no camera phones, man. You know, ain't no. Uh, cameras on the block or whatever. People get in Buffalo, we stay up until 4 o'clock in the morning. So, bars oh, close no. and it's cheap. <clears throat> 4 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. We don't close till 4 to this day, still like that. We don't close till 4. That's serious. 
Yeah. So you understand that adds another two hours of alcoholic beverage and another, you know, turn up like between three o'clock and four, people are ready to like either fuck or kill each other. So we was, I mean, I learned how to really get into my fight in the street since when I'm bouncing downtown and it was even a nice club, but we still had to get it in. And then, and then walking home or sorry, walking to the, to the car from there was always dangerous because it's four o'clock morning, everybody's drunk and it's a lot of shit. Everybody's out there. Make sure everybody from gangs to classy people to drunk people, whatever. So you got to watch your shit. We had to walk uh, a lot of cocktail waitresses to their, to their cars, like literally because they were scared shitless and they, they rightfully so. It was wild out there. It was insane. Um, but at the same time, I love that shit. I loved it, you know, and, um, Again, I'm playing football. I know I'm getting better and bigger every year. So um, I'm getting, you know, looked at by pros. So my direction is, again, there. Now, walked around, like, my senior year, my boys, they put together this group called 305, which was uh, a bunch of us, like, half football. We had one dude who was, like, this ill producer from Harlem. He, had the, he was the only one with like the laptop and like the little mic and shit, but he had ill beats. Like he was creating crazy shit. So 305 was like the room number that like they all started from. So we called 305. So I remember doing like three songs, basic shit. I remember one time I made some song with this girl I just met named Nikki, and I was you know in love with her. I met her parents, none of this shit. That I had the girl singing in the background. It was pretty. It was tight. Like it was actually pretty cool. And I remember we, us doing just funny songs, funny freestyles about like. How your pussy stink and all this dumb shit. Like we was having fun. Like, but yeah, it was like hilarious. At the same time, there was actually some glimpses of greatness in there that I would hear. Cause like people would be like, yo, you actually sound kinda hot. But I was always I wasn't thinking about them. Like, I'm not gonna be one of these football players trying to rap either. Cause at that time that was corny too. Like the only motherfucker that could do that successfully at that point was Shaquille O'Neal. Everybody else that tried to do that, that sports and rap or sports and music shit was it was never popping like that. So I didn't even, again, it did not cross my fucking mind to do anything, to drop albums or whatever. But music at this point, when I'm in fucking college, was heavy. Now I'm buying my own shit. Now I'm going, now I'm Because I, I couldn't wait to move out. My mom's like, you want to move out? You good? I'm like, because she was trying to put the fucking curfew on me at 17. When I'm in college, I'm like, yo, I'm out of here, yo. I don't give a fuck what I got to do. I don't care if I got your top ramen for six months straight. I'm out of here. And I got fucking tatted up. And started fucking like listening to whatever I wanted to listen to. Again, still listening to E40, still listening to that West Coast shit. But then again, mixing it with, you know, all my East Side shit. I remember at that time, Big L had just died. I remember that shit. It was 2000. And he had just died like the year before. So I remember I really got to him. You know, you know how it goes when people pass away. Unfortunately, you hear about him even more. So his content came out. So I remember Big L was bopping bop, my whole freshman year. We bought Big L heavy. Um, and then we in the club with it, right? So I remember that the time, you know, Jada Kiss was popping with me. Um, my one boy Haas, he was, he was, uh, him and his fucking, his brother were making some raps and shit, but they was on some different shit. They was on some like Spider Man webs and like other crazy shit that I wasn't really into, right? So yeah, I remember the first time though, right? <clears throat> I love Ghostface too. Ghostface was one of my favorites. I don't know what compelled me to write or try to write like Ghostface, but I tried. And I and I didn't make any sense whatsoever what I was saying. I was just writing words that rhymed that made literally no sense. Like I remember I remember this line. It was like it was like footloose nautica suits. 
And I didn't, I don't know what the fuck that meant. Like, but I just was trying to like replicate what I was hearing, but I wasn't, I didn't know at the time. I just didn't understand because I wasn't conscious enough to know what they were actually saying. Cause I was, it was always like, you know what I mean? Like I had to like hide it, read it, da, da, da. It's kind of funny how now when I listen to it, it's so, it's so basic for me. But back then I just didn't know. So I'm just trying to make that out of that. So then I, I get there, get to college, and then I'm getting recruited by like the Vikings and shit like that. So I'm like, all right, bet. So I know this football land is going to be real. So I, you know, obviously I don't want to, I just want to listen to music about that shit. Maybe start a label or something. I know music, I wanted to be in that shit, but it wasn't heavy. You know, this is 2003, 2004. We start getting into, and people really weren't, you know, again, football players and musicians weren't really like that. It was always like they wanted our money to invest in their label or into their dream. They didn't want, you know what I'm saying, to collab. And at the time, I knew I could sing too. Now, I know I could sing. I do a little something, so I knew I was all right. But man, got to the Vikings and then shit got real, man. Shit got real. I had a good thing. That's okay, so, how, so, how do you go drafted yeah. to a Vikings? Like, I know what a Vikings is. How does one get yeah. drafted? I've, I personally talked to very few people that have told me just dead ass with all casualness too. I was playing football, the Vikings scouted me, and then I went to the Vikings. Like, oh man, you, you got to elaborate a little bit more on uh, the NFL. <laughs> so, senior year, you know, my dad's coaching at the time, right? Still, he's in the leagues in the NFL. Mm. So. I got connections as a kid because when you're in the NFL, I was ball boying. So now you got coaches out there that's kind of like get their eye on you. Feel me? Like I was, so I was lucky to be kind of like behind the scenes already. Like they knew me already. No matter what my college was doing, they're going. They were like, "Yo, you're gonna be okay. Just work hard. You at least get like we'll bring you in for like a fucking two day trial at least. Like that's the minimum. You that's the minimum you can fucking you know what I'm saying not get. So went there, boom. Going into my senior year was a tough year, so I didn't know if I was going to get, you know, really signed or drafted, right? But I had gotten like there was there was like the Bills that came through. I had a couple of pro days the year before, which pro days just like Wait, the what's NFL, the difference like the Bills. Between signed and drafted. So drafted is like on draft day they call your name out, like you're part of the rounds, like the first round, second round, third round. When you get signed, they call you literally seconds after that. Like, literally, you're home, they hit your phone up, and then you might have, like, 10 teams, like, yo, why don't you come here for a try? Why don't you come here for a try? So now you got to now you gotta see which team is going to be the best for you to actually make it, or, like, you could you could literally go in there one day and get your ass kicked and, get, and leave because it's too talented for you. So I knew that the Vikings had called me before. They're like, if you don't get drafted, we're going to take you. We're going to call you up and offer you a deal. So just, be, just watch the draft because you never know. But – you know, that's what's going to happen. So I put up okay numbers in, in like my pro days. Like, I was pretty good. I was pretty fast. You know, four, five, two, forty. 40, you know what I'm saying, speed. Everything was good in the combine. But, um, well, like, I was coming from a small school. But So you basically the draft happens, you don't get drafted, and you get signed? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, like is it better to get drafted or signed? I yes, guess. it's better to get drafted for your chances to make the team. Absolutely, because if they get drafted, that means they're putting more money. They're investing more money. In you. Hmm. Like you get drafted in the first round, motherfucker. Back then, you might get twenty million dollars just to sign. You know what I'm saying? And then, like the sixth round, you'll still get like 
$100,000 to sign. Whereas if you're a free agent, now they might give you like 10 grand to sign, depending on who you are. But you see how the investment goes. So like if you they want if you're gonna draft a second round pick, he's gonna have to make the team. Just invested twenty million dollars in this motherfucker. You know what I'm trying to say? Like he's gonna he's gonna be there for at least three years. Like he ain't gonna make it, we're gonna make him make it. Like that's how they would do it. Like so, yeah, so your odds of making like, the team are and really there's bad. Also like you... the draft is televised, so it's also like you're putting up your reputation and stake, blah blah blah. So then okay, that makes sense. So how about this? There were some dudes that were like they thought they were getting drafted. Even in the third round or something, right? So they have a draft party. <laughs> a party. Expecting at one point that they're gonna get that call during this party. And they don't get that call. So it's kind of like a it's like a party, but then it's like kind of odd, like, oh, maybe next time. Like, you know what I mean? So it's cool if you knew you're getting drafted in the first, second round. Yeah, of course. Like, you know it. Like, you'll know. You know what I'm saying? They'll have some people around your house. Da, da, da. It happens. Cool. But me, I knew I knew I wasn't. Like, I was the chances that I watched it, but the chances of it happening were very low. Like, I, I was the only. Like, okay, so in college in the States, there's Division One, which are the big, big college schools, Penn State, Syracuse, whatever. D1, AA, there's like, there's a little smaller schools like that, like uh, Mississippi State or something like that, Mississippi State, whatever. Then there's Division Two, which is like even smaller. <laughs> then there's Division Three, independent who where we were, which is even smaller than that. But we were independent, so Pete, we were so good. We would play Division One AA teams with scholarships and shit. Like we would beat them, we beat you, beat we beat Robert Morris. So I'm coming from a smaller school, D three, and the chances of me getting drafted were still. They still like I still had like three teams. Like yo, we're looking like it's okay. And if I here's the thing, I was supposed to play in this Senior Bowl, which was like a which is like you know um, all star game for the seniors. I caught strep throat two weeks before oh. and I lost like 20 pounds. Yeah. So it was like my dad, I remember me and my dad, like, I can't go out there. I'm, I'm going to be 20 pounds because they're, they're weighing you and you're doing a pro day and playing. So I can't go out there 20 pounds underweight and shit. Da, da, da. And if I would have played, I know for a fact I probably would have got drafted because I was already bigger and better than all the motherfuckers. I knew I was mm. like talent wise and size wise. I was raw, but I knew I was going to, I was always going to like show my side, be okay with it out there right because they ended up seeing them right so the day happens and then i get a call right after like hey you want to come out to minnesota give this a shot i was like sure you know and i was actually even how about this it was like a two-day tryout situation it wasn't even a free agency signing where they signed your free agency boom now you have at least all till pre you know till um preseason to sign they give me a two-day tryout now, my dad's even coaching too, but, but it was like it, the numbers were like were fine, but I was coming from a small school and my, and my stats were really good, but they were okay. My, like it was like I had a bad quarterback, new head coach, my fucking, you know, last two years. So it wasn't like I was, I was there. I was pre all American, but I wasn't. So I had a two day tryout, which means I flew in and then I had to sign an insurance waiver that said that if I got hurt during this, during these two day trials, that I would cover my own expenses. Yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> no, I mean, it's fucked up, like, when you look at it through yeah. the lens of, like, I never cared about football, so I'm so happy to go down fuck the NFL uh, rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. 
And when you look at how much money they make, it's like, bro, come on. Yeah. At least put half the medical bills. <laughs> look, yeah, dead ass, right? So, like, but it was funny because I went out there, right? And I didn't even have it. Like, I was one of those dudes. I didn't even have a name on my jersey. They was going, like, let me go out there for two days and see what happened. And uh, my dad's coaching on the defensive side, too, right? So he, he used to watch me. But me and him are really good at, like, not being father son during that time it was coached like i didn't like i just looked at him like coach i didn't give a fuck like of course there'd be little moments here but i was like you're just a coach shut up like whatever and he was the same way he would like he would be coaching against me like wouldn't be no like you know old guy but this time he's watching me because it's like my first day there right no lie first day there i go out and um it was a simple just an out route I'm just going straight to the sideline. The guy hikes it. Hike, throws to go. I go to the sideline. He throws it. But it was like I was already covered, and the ball was coming in hot, like high as fuck. But I still caught that bitch, like snapped it out the air. Like everyone was like, "Ooh!" And it was so simple, but it was such a difficult catch right away that it caught the eye of like everybody right away. And uh, my dad was even sitting there. He was, like, pumping his fist like this. He couldn't hold it because it was, like, it was one of those moments, like, he couldn't hold it because it was, like, the first day. You're talking, like, legends are out there. Dante Culpepper, Randy Moss, fucking, like, all these fucking people out there that are just, like, watching this shit. And this is how I'm, I'm going to tell you how I got to my name. So I'm going to get to that. We're getting close to that too, shit, too. So Randy Moss is out there, like, and they, like, ooh, they talking shit right away, right? So, boom, I have a good day like that. I keep on having a great day. By the end of the second day, they end up cutting one of the second string tight ends, which is my position, who was there for like four years. His name was Stackhouse. And they end up, his, his number was 45. So end up cutting him and then officially signing me to the, to the deal and being like, yeah, you know, let's go. Let's start this up. So it was like coming from the bottom real for real and then being able to at least get my name in my fucking church like it was like now i was able to train this shit and get right you know what i mean for training camp and shit like that you know what i mean so that's when it started but then randy moss legitly go ahead, go ahead. so training camp is it similar to the remember the titans training that's the best frame of reference <laughs> that's that's, that's like, like okay so like in high school back then yeah like, I hated the fact that they was like, yo, we ain't getting, like, yeah, I remember being out there, like, in high school, being with those hardcore coaches that were all old school and they were idiots, actually, fucking doing some wild shit. But in, but in professional, you're talking about players that are getting paid too much money for you to be doing all that dumb shit. So it's, 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 you know, it's, it's love. I loved, I actually, when I look back on it, I missed those practices, even though, like, back when you're in it, out and it's long you feel like it's kind of long came into it's over because it's more stressed mm. when you play in the nfl and you're trying out for the team so to speak you are in a stress moment because any mistake they see that shit so you can't you ain't just like on you know out here getting better you know you're you're trying to survive yo so your stress level is so fucking high during training camp especially like i'm talking like it is a like you're praying. I, I was just like, you know, reading and praying in like every practice, every play, every, it was just like a game time thing. 
and it built you up, you built your character because you, you're going to make a fucking mistake. You're going to do something wrong. You know what I'm saying? You're going to get, you might get barked at. You know what I mean? You might get barked at and it wasn't even you. You know what I mean? They just, they just embarrassing the fuck out of everybody. Like, you know what I mean? And you have to overcome that shit to do your job and know that like, yo, I'm here for a reason, man. I'm just out here just fucking you know, trying and, and, and my mother be cut, man. Fuck this. Yo, he ain't even better than me. Look at this dude over here. This dude's making fucking three mil. Like, what the fuck is this? Dude? Like, what you mean? I'm going to take his bread right now. Like, he's not me. And so you had that. And then he looking at you like, look at this motherfucker. You, you hear? Like, they look. It's So it's internal positional competition on top of like you having to know plays and having to also be on top of your shit. So training camp was when you were trying out for a team, especially it was stressful as fuck, man. Hold up, it man. was, it was legitly stressful. And you're the dude that catches the ball from the quarterback. Yes. Tight end. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, like a receiver type, but I also block. Right. So I was bigger so I can kind of block also and then go out, but I was, I was fast too. So most of them are receiving tight end. Like if guys know like a Travis Kelsey today or some guy like that, but Tony Gonzalez was one of my, was my homie. I'm actually, he was my idol coming up. He'll talk like Tony Gonzalez with the dude. But, um, and then I, and then I end up, yeah, I'll get to that in a little bit. But like the tight ends on my side in my position weren't like legendary tight ends. They're Jim Saucer and Jermaine Wiggins at the time. And these dudes, I, I was just young and not ready here to know where I was at to really lock it down my freshman year, my first, sorry, my first year. Like, my first year, it was like, I was just happy to be there, and I was overwhelmed with shit. Like, yo, dog, first year, I get there, right? I get signed. I get to the first mini camp. I do a good mini camp. The first Friday, we all get invited to a Playboy party downtown. So I'm there. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I got my sidekick at the time, flipping shit up. Like, I'm not focused. I should have been my ass. should have been fucking home, reading more fucking plays, doing my shit, like, like really focusing on what I was at. But I was just so happy just to make it to that point at one point. At one yeah, point. At I'm one just going to throw it out there. There's not many times <laughs> in life you get invited to a playboy party. Like, you know, maybe, There's not. maybe if you're an NFL player, that happens a lot more often. Most of us don't become <laughs> well, NFL players. I don't know. Well, like, 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 I mean, I hear what you're saying because then there's more playboy parties in the future. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> still, I, I like. <laughs> But like, here's the thing, like, it wasn't even that, that Gito, right? Like, it was very disappointing. Like, went to escape. It wasn't, I, like, you in picture, like, I was going to the Playboy party. I'm thinking like, yo, I seen the goddamn TV show. You gotta be butt naked motherfuckers walking around everywhere. Like, I'm talking about like everything gotta be. No, I forgot. You're still in the city. That's like, this isn't a strip club. So they just walking around with like the simple, you know, two piece, but then it's like, you know, Miss Playboy, uh, two thousand and you know one, and it's two thousand and four. Miss Playboy ninety eight, and they not they just in there like, and, you, and you're not allowed to take a picture with them. You gotta keep your hands down to your side on your lap. Do not touch. They touch you. Like it was just so like. Here, here's the big Playboy heart bed. Oh, look at that. Take a picture of that. And then, oh, good cry. Here, here's this beautiful girl stripping, but not stripping because she ain't going to show the titties really like that. You know, she's there in, in this martini glass. I just, I did no, not expect The Playboy I was disappointed video game in that lied shit. to me. 
<laughs> there was like on the Xbox this game that was like The Sims or whatever with missions. Where yeah. You built the Playboy Mansion and you hired bunnies and shit. And there was yeah. blurred boobies in that game. So it fucking blurred lost. boobies. You understand what I'm saying? So like, it just it just was uh, it wasn't like it was popping like that. But at the same time, you know. Football players, you know, the, the lifestyle, you go out there, meet some girl, that, that, boom. So it was a cool night, you know, but it was just like, I was just so happy to be there. I was just so happy to be there. Like, you know, oh, I met somebody, let's go. Not a bad night. Come on back, you know. But this, but to say, like, I wasn't, I'm not fucking there. Like, it's the shit I, I had gotten past. But like, when I look back on it, I was like, motherfucker. Like, you had it in your head, you dig? Like, so. Summertime come through and I'm training, um, have an okay training camp, but then end up getting, not like end up literally getting cut that year and then re-signed back to like a future contract. They did it. They're saying, okay. Because what they had is an NFL Europe. So it was the minor league of the NFL. So they're like, yo, don't go nowhere though. Because we're going to sign you. You're going to stick around here. You're going to work. And then at the end of the season, you're going to go to NFL Europe, which the season started like, March of the next year, and then you're going to represent the Vikings over in Europe. You're covered. You're still a Minnesota Viking, and then you'll get some extra work. And then when you come back, bro, you're going to make the squad. Like you're going to be here because then you'll be allocated and you'll be here to the end of training camp minimum. And you're going to make the team probably. And they knew it. It was just an off year for me. I was rookie. It's like yo, boom, coming out. So I did that. Got resigned like literally in like uh, October. So it was cool. Like I, I was like not signed for like a week. Now signed right back. Then got allocated to NFL Europe. Had a had was training. Had a great offseason training. Where in Europe? It was really coming to my mind. Frankfurt Galaxy in Frankfurt. Now I'm gonna tell you this one. This one the story is getting real. I gotta take a bow with this one because the story of Kultrusik is really good. Now, um, before I left, not before I got resigned back. One of the Randy Moss Hall of Famer, he had actually like during training camp, I had a couple good plays, but I still got cut. So during the time, he would talk shit for you. So he came up with the name. He's like, "Yo, Coach Treasy, that's Treasy, yo, Coach Treasy." He literally was just like Treasy, like he he just kind of was called Treasy, and then a couple other teammates like, "Yo, Coach Treasy." They literally named it like after one play where I caught it, and he was just talking shit. I taught it. I like literally caught a, a corner route over this linebacker and like mossed him which means I caught it over his head, right? And brought it down. And they said, go Treasy. So boom, I come, I fast forward. He's off the team now because he got traded coming on to 2005. So I go to NFL Europe March and I have a, and we go to Tampa Bay. I have a great, before we go to fucking, you know, the training camp is in Tampa Bay before we go to training. So I have a great training camp, right? But then I get this fucking, eye infection literally in my right eye that caused like a cyst right down here that caused a huge fucking lump right they had to bring it down i had to go there i had to get the shit cut like i'm talking about stitches like live i got nine nurses i'm holding on they're cutting it out da, 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 causing it out i end up having to stay in alabama and training for like three weeks while the team went over there right and got right so finally, I get over there. I'm in Alabama for training, whatever, for a long time. I get over there in 2005, and I see all my boys because I was having a great season. 
I was having a good, you know, time, but I see my boys in Frankfurt. Get to Frankfurt. Um, I'm on practice squad. Da, da, da. Next thing you know, two weeks, they actually, Frankfurt trained, trades me to the Rhine Fire, which was in Cologne. Right? Mm. So Cologne was popping. Like, Cologne was popping. Right? I'm in Cologne, old city, type of area. There's like this one area where it's called Old City, where it's like 90 bars in this one area. Right. And it's like, I remember it's old Louisiana, which is what the American spot bar. So we up in there and it was just beautiful people, beautiful and all the time drinks, good times. Right. Then there was this other spot called Checkers, which was right down the street, which was more like it was popping, but the Turkish mob kind of owned that. A bunch of Turkish people doing that, but it was a good spot. So one night we go there. We had all, this is about three weeks into it, so we all had got a kind of connection. I mean, with some cool dudes. We had some good times. We get there. We go to Checkers. Now, Checkers, I didn't know we weren't supposed to be going there because I just got traded to the team, and I'm going with, like, 30 other people. So apparently, we weren't supposed to be going there. <clears throat> but I'd already went to this club before. Like, the first time, first couple of days I got there, I went to before. I had a great time. I talked to one of the bouncers one day. Like, you know, I knew a little German, but they spoke English, too. So I remember one time I was hammering. I don't know, this dude was this huge Turkish dude. We just ended up just talking. Like, he's having a real convo. He looked he looked intimidating as fuck. Like, I remember just looking at him, being, not being intimidated, but I'm like, yo, this dude was a fucking G. Like, what the fuck? He just remember just talking to me, like, what's up? What are you doing? Like, it was just, it was amazing. But the, the fucking one week we go in there. Now, mind you, this bar is a spot where you pay your tab at the end of the night. They give you punch cards mm. at the time. <clears throat> so you know how how it go down, or you can see how people would try to just dupe dip, right? Mm. The dude Chaz Moore is his fucking name. He was uh, on our team. I got care what position he was, but he was on our team. So we're getting ready to go into the spot. Like it's a it's in a shopping mall outdoor area, and it's up like these stairwells, correct? Right. So you got to go up the stairwells, and then you go to the spots right there. So there's one way in and one way out, obviously, right? So you go there, and then you go into the spot. But the bouncers are there. They lined up, and they were like waiting for us. And now these bouncers ain't even really that big. Paint the picture. They got these Turkish dudes. They're like five ten UFC fighters. I respect it though because the UFC you got fight, you can knock me the fuck out. Like I'm not even on it. And I've been in the spot, so they kind of knew me. So like we going up, they stop, <clears throat> and then like one dude's like, hey, hey, hey. they they they're like looking at Chance more, like kind of pointing at him. And the guy goes, um, yeah, um, you guys are good. You can come in. But that guy, Chaz Moore, he can't. He didn't pay his tab last time. So he is now embarrassed. Now, mind you, Chaz Moore is there with his fucking girlfriend. Keep that. Mind you, this. she's the only girl there, too. So you would think this motherfucker would have a calm head to not put her in danger. She had traveled, like, all the way, you know what I'm saying, from Arizona to fly to see him in fucking Cologne, Germany, to stay for, like, three weeks, right? Chaz Moore is a hothead. He gets pissed off, talking shit. Now, mind you, they're ready. A guy comes out and actually flashes a samurai sword in his bucket, like in his bucket. He's like, he's like, well, what's the problem? And I'm like, yo, nothing. Like the guy's like, Chaz is like saying, I, I did pay my time. I did, I did, I did. He's, he's living. 
So finally, I'm like, yo, let's just leave. Like, yo, Old City is right over there. Like, we'll go back to old fucking Louisiana. I'm sorry, old Louisiana's. We'll go back over there. It's popping. Like, no big deal if we don't go on the spot. I bet. Let's go. So as we're walking, I, I tell them, like, we gotta, you guys got to move. They got to move out the way for us to get down the stairwell. And they were cool. They're like, all right, bet. I'm like, sorry, my bad. We'll leave. And they're like slapping me up. Everything's cool. There's like a nine of them. There's a bunch of them. It's getting hot. It's getting tense, but we have calmed it down. So as we're leaving, Chaz Moore gets pissed off and spits in the face of one of them. Now, mind you again, let me remind you, I'm Minnesota Viking. I'm fucking still from the Vikings. I'm like signed, you know what I mean, Cologne. To the Ryan Fire, whatever. He spits in the face. I look over to the right and I see a guy. I remember, I forgot what he said in German, but it was basically like, oh, that's it. We'll be right back. You know what I mean? Like he's yelling over there. Like, and they all ran inside. They didn't come out because they all ran inside. So I knew, I'm like, yo, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Cause they ain't come, like, they, they going back to get their shit. Like, what you thinking? So we pushing them down. Chad's just talking shit. And um, literally, we get down to the area where the shopping area is two stories down here. There's two stories, and there's walking street to the street. And I can feel it. And I hear yelling and footsteps running. And everybody who was in front of me was like 20 football players. And like Chaz up there with his girl. They took off running, like immediately. And I don't know what compelled me to literally just turn around and face that shit. Like, I literally went at them. Three dudes with a bat. I turned around was like, what? Like, it was almost like, to me, the universe, the most high, put me in that position to be the sacrifice or to create the story of countries, whatever. But I turned around and I look and I see the two dudes that I was talking to the most anyway. So I'm like, yo, what's up? You know me. And they did. They kind of run up. They like stop a little bit, but then they look to the left and some and to the side. And as I don't even see it, I just feel like, Pink and a baseball bat come square to my fucking dome. Boom. No lie, I laughed as I'm as I'm going down. So I'm like, yo, I'm dying like this. Cause at the time I'm still crazy TJ Cotrizi. Like I'm 23 years old. I'm wilding. You know what I mean? I just got into the league in a year and a half. And I'm still not like conscious about what the fuck I'm doing. I'm like, I'm I'm ready to die. Who cares? Like I was still in that shit. A lot of stuff was going on in my, my childhood that was coming back and like a lot of pain. So although I had a level head and I had a level head because at the time I was bouncing, I've been so many fights. I was like, yo, fuck, I'm not trying to fight. No, I'm trying to go in the club and get like, you know what I'm saying? Feel something, take something home. What the fuck you doing? Like trying to get some girls in this bitch and go and get the fuck out of here. As much as I was a level head to like say, all right, let's just leave. No, no big deal. Let's get the fuck out of here. I turn right around and face that shit. And the bat hits my face. I laugh and I go down. I see the guy with the samurai sword all of a sudden the sword's out. And I feel kicking, I'm moving up, and I look up and I see the sword down like this. The guy's like right there. And literally, I uh, I smile again and I put my neck up like that. Like, just go ahead and end it. Like, dog, I don't care. This is it. Bobby John, another D lineman from the other side, just so happened to be on the side, I guess. I don't know how this fucking happened, but he tackles the guy with the sword. The sword rolls around. I guess apparently I, this is what he told me because I, I don't even see this shit. But because at this point I just go black. I don't even remember anything. But he tells me that someone Bobby John tackled the guy with the sword. 
sword rolls. The guy kind of like caught his balance and realized what he was going on, put the sword back and walked out. All I remember is the sword going down, putting my neck down. And then I hear the scream of Chaz Moore's girlfriend, like a ratchet, like, like she knew I was going to die. So I, the last thing I heard was this screaming. And I'll never forget it. It still goes in my head. Like this woman just deathly screaming. It's almost like if your girl saw you, just someone just about to kill you. Like the screaming wretchedness of it. I wake up, yo, and I'm like, my boys are like kind of carrying me up my, like, you know, I'm getting my, my bearings right, whatever. I just come to and I got, I'm bleeding through my nose. I'm bleeding through my ears, bleeding through my eyes. My jaw is, I'm talking like this. It's all out of place. I go in there <laughs> and um, now all these guys are running back and they, they going crazy, da, 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 da. Um, the cops come, nobody gets arrested. Um, and they literally throw me in like the ambulance. I'm like going crazy because I'm like half drunk and shit. I'm like, I ain't got insurance out here. Y'all fucking crazy. <laughs> like I was doing wild shit. And I remember this one female, this other female who happened to be, I didn't know, but she happened to be a nurse and she just came with us. I don't even know who she was. She guided me. I couldn't even recognize this girl if I saw her now, but she was there and she guided me through the hospital. I remember I had a Banana Republic shirt. This shit was just done. It was a fly shirt too. Shit was just bloody all done. I get to uh, the hospital. Um, and then they transferred me to another hospital where they thought that like, oh, they would, they wanted to do like a surgery and what ended up happening is I ended up fracturing my eye orbital right here and then pretty much breaking all the fracturing some cheekbones, breaking my nose, all that shit. So the Vikings are like, they calling what's going on. And my dad is also coaching. He's about to kill somebody. Like he's like livid because they the story comes out now, right? Like the story really comes out of what truth was happening and what happened. Like, yo, he was just a, he was just trying to be there. He was just trying to do the best he can. He wasn't even part of that shit. He got hit. And literally, like, um, I remember MySpace was popping at the time. And my MySpace was going off. Like, yo, I had people like like even the guy that hit me was like, he was scared all of a sudden. You know, I had a lot of people, I had a lot of people who I knew. And um, basically, I get to Germany. They're like, I mean, I'm in Germany, I'm sorry. They're like, I'm in Cologne, I'm sorry. They're like, yo, we got to get you to Alabama, Birmingham. Because I'm like, I'm not having a surgery. So we hop on a med jet. And we got to go up and come down, right? Because the elevation has to stay low. So I go up. And now I'm get the fucking, we get the touchdown in Iceland. I get to get out. And chill in Iceland for like three, three hours. Now, mind you, my face is fucked up. Like, I don't care anymore. I got a black eye. No, da, da, da. I went. Yeah, I went to Burger King at the time. This is when I was eating meat. Shit, I went to Burger King at the time. Got a whopper and bit it, and half my teeth down here just started coming out. I spit that shit. I was just like, raw whatever, whatever. <laughs> raw whatever. I just came about eating my shit. Like I was just like that. Like I was on some like. My life is over. Maybe I don't know. But they they said like, yo, you are you have strong bones. And how he hit you was just right. You'll be back in six weeks if this surgery goes well. You'll be back in six weeks if the surgery goes well. So, like, literally, like, we get there. And I get to Iceland. Get to chill out in Iceland. I come down through Goose Bay, Canada. Right? Come down to Toronto. From Toronto, then I go to Alabama, Birmingham. And I have the surgery. The surgery is serious, though. They cut the inside of my mouth. They take out my cheekbone. They drill the plates in. They shove it back in. And then this side right here, 
they put the plates up. Like I have plates, I have titanium plates all through here. So, so I get back to training. I'll get back to like, I'm actually part of the Vikings now. Cause now the NFL also is involved. So they like, yo, we don't keep this low, but he's going to, you know, he'll be fine. So after I have surgery, I get back to Minnesota and I start training and I get ready for training camp. And I just so happened to be ready a week before training camp started. And then that year I made the motherfucking team. Wow. In 2005. Can I just say that ranks is up there <laughs> in the stories? I've talked to a lot I appreciate of people that. with a lot of stories. That's a story. It, yo, not it don't even stop there. <laughs> not a lot of people's stories. About I appreciate that. By a bat by Turkish mobsters in front of a club mm. while trying to defuse the situation. Started by another guy. Yeah. On some like wow, all of that was yeah. Wild. I had nothing and then to, like it was just big. <laughs> it's crazy, man. And like I mean, '05 was like a good year. You know, what I mean, I was ready for it. I was mentally prepared for it. You know what I'm saying? I was ready to go to training camp. I was spot. I was making plays. I was out there making a name. Quatrizi was was real. You know what I mean? And then um, I ended up fracturing my ankle, um, and like basically on some freak practice shit. So it was kind of heartbreaking, but at the same time, it was like. When I look back on it, it was just it was it was really heartbreaking actually because that was my year. That was a good year, but I learned a lot. I was able to sit the sideline a lot, like I was there, you know, what I mean, through the whole season. And so basically going, they were like on that injured reserve thing. Injured reserve, absolutely, yeah. And, and so then the, the injured like reserve an one, actual Viking. Yeah, yeah. Like I made the squad and then got hurt. Like it was crazy. You know what I'm saying? So, like it was um. It was unbelievable. Like basically, it really came to a point. Now, two thousand six, you're gonna laugh. Two thousand six, um, literally, uh, a new head coach called Childress comes in, and he's clearing house. Like he's clearing house. Like he gets rid of like a bunch of people that were on a previous regime, including players. So he, like, I as soon as I got back off my injury. I, I cleared my. I got back two months before I was supposed to even play. He cut me like two months. They cut me, boom. Right. So I had a couple of teams interested, whatever. But I ended up, you know, pretty much working and working out. And then <laughs> you gonna love this. <clears throat> ABA basketball league, which is like there's a there's like an you know, NBA, NBA two. There's a bunch of like little minor things like the ABA and the CBA. ABA was serious. ABA had players from Russia. They had an expansion team in Minneapolis. At the same time, I got a call from the San Diego Chargers for now, the L.A. Chargers, because Kyle Smith, which was the general manager of that team, knew me as a kid. Like He knew me as he was part of the Buffalo Bill regime back when my dad was coaching too in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Now he's a GM in San Diego. He sees I got cut. He's like, what are we going to do? We're going to allocate you back to Europe. You got some business to handle over there. Like, you're right. So I ended up 2006 taking a year off of football, but then playing in the ABA Basketball League for the Minnesota Ripneys. Literally, this character was called Ripneys. And we played all through the Midwest, man. We played um, everywhere. We played fucking uh, Arkansas, a lot of teams in Minneapolis, but then we played 
They actually went down to the East Coast a couple of times. We played in St. Louis, Midwest, Illinois, Peoria, Peoria, Illinois. There's some good squad and some like, you know, uh, former college stars who maybe don't maybe make the Bailey's, but they got some leagues and we got paid good. Like I got paid like two racks a week just to play basketball. So I, that was like, and I was able to train for, for the San Diego Church at the same time, instead of having to like work at C.H. Robinson and do accounts payable, which was what I, which was, I was doing that before. Mm. So he got me, he's like, nah, get out of there. You're going you're gonna to be back in the league. So now, I remember that, I remember the time too, I, I was dating this girl named Shantae. And she was an R&B singer and she was an aspiring singer. And I remember she dumped me around 2006. She didn't know about what was going on with the San Diego Chargers because it was a little low. So then 2007, February, I signed and I was like, mm, bitch, like, you know what I'm saying? Well, how you like that? And I remember she was just trying to get with me again. I was like, yeah, okay, of course you are. So 2007, I signed to the San Diego Chargers. And boom, I, I, they're going to allegate me to NFL Europe again. And first, I'm like, cause first, my mom, my dad's like, you'll never go back there every game after that shit. 2007, I'm, I'm not there. I'm like, yo, I'm going back. Fuck it. Because I'm probably going to play on a different, like a Frankfurt team. The one team that treated me, they felt bad for trading me. So they wanted me to come back. They're like, yo, we need to come back for our team. We need you. You got to finish business. And literally, man, 2007, Frankfurt Galaxy took me, made the squad, went over there to Frankfurt Galaxy and played in Frankfurt. But I was in a different team, right, than I was when I got hurt. Or I'm sorry, when I got fucking hit with a baseball bat. However, that team plays Cologne called the Ryan Fire. They play them in Ryan Fire. So one of the weeks I go was in there, probably the third week that went in there, I go to the exact spot it happened on the night before fucking uh, the game. And I go to the spot, checkers is still there. And everything is still there. Now there are some things that have happened to the, even the guy that got hit the bat. He's not around. Him. But like, we went up. I went there, stood right there, and looked back. My face looked just like it does right now. Now, mind you, people around had heard what happened to me. So when I went to the other bar, I was an all star. The owner came out. He just kept touching my face. They they, they knew what happened. They gave me like four bottles of liquor. I couldn't even like drive my out of game next to that drink shit. I was just like, yo, I can't drink this shit. Like, what y'all doing? We, we had a curfew at like 11. So it was like, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock on Friday. Happy hour shit cracking. And then, boom, I leave there. But then I'm like, yeah, I got to make a stop. So I went right to the front of the checkers. I was like, what's up? And they look, I see the dudes looking. And they just basically just look back. And they knew that I didn't snitch either because... One guy was like, you know, we need you guys to we won't think about you talking again. But I'm like, they didn't have any Germany, Germany doesn't have any laws that protect anybody like me as far as like if I got some money off of it or nothing like that. You know what I mean? There was gonna it was gonna be a long process that I didn't feel like doing it. Plus, I had an ego. I'm signed to the charges. I'm gonna get my money. Like, fuck you. That's what I thought. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever. So I didn't say anything. I just went to the exact spot, looked at them, keep it moving. And went back and played that entire team. You know, we ended up getting second place with the moves in the fucking World Board Championship that year. But played that year and then got back to San Diego, man, and ended up having to be able to good a good time with uh, Antonio Gates and San Diego Chargers, Philip Rivers, a couple guys like that on the squad. That year was crazy because I got to meet some real all stars like Damian Thomason, Philip Rivers, Sean Merriman. These guys are like at one point like well, Sean Merriman at one point we thought was a Hall of Fame, but 
Mm-hmm. Philip Rivers Hall of Famer, Damian Thompson Hall of Famer. You know what I'm saying? The guys like that for real. I was able to fucking play with Antonio Gates is a future Hall of Famer. He was my he was in my position. So he was cool as hell because this dude was a Hall of Famer. And I remember just him calling me on my phone. I was like, I had a boost phone at that time too. Like I was still in my grind. So you see Antonio Gates in the boost phone, you pick it up, you're like, yo, you know, this is like this dude makes like 50 mil. You know, you out there with a couple grand and shit. And he's still impressed me. He was he was humble. He was a Detroit, you know, I'm sorry, he was a Michigan kid. So he was humble as fuck too, even though he was like, you know, making so much money. So 2007, that happened. Yeah, that's big. Had a good- I got to I got to pause for a second. If it's all right sure. with you, I got to use the washroom real quick. I'm going to go. Go ahead, bro. You so good? I'm gonna do- nah, it's good. Plus you say Sky Beats, which makes that one like more Sky Beats. Which uh I appreciate. That's a that's a cool dude from Montreal if you don't know. Him. Uh, all day, man. Shout out to Sky Beats for sure. I don't know, just trying to get the window open. All right, cool. We good again. Yeah, I appreciate all of that. And definitely we're going to get to all of these things. It's all chronological. Every time I go through this thing chronological and the same people get eager and they're like, I want to hear about this part. And I'm like, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> like we're, we're in the middle of the fucking NFLs and fucking, I think the Chargers is NFL. I don't even yeah, yeah. I was just ready? running yeah, with yeah, it, like good. just in case. You're good. <laughs> I'm like, you good. like, we're having edge. I never like, I never talked to an NFL player before. That's a appreciate first. that, King. Yeah, like that's like that, man. <laughs> how fucking cool is that? Like you know, like it, I didn't even know. I I, I no idea. That that's no. like I would have written that Bad. shit if I had known that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I mean, I put it out there, but like, yeah, you know, what I mean, I like to, I like to make a little surprise with it, but it's also that you know, as it's humbling, man. You know, I didn't play you no, know, like you know, I didn't like the amazing career and crazy habits, you know what I'm saying? I'm just one of the few, but I'm fortunate to, to even make it there. I'm fortunate that be to say at one point in the world, I was one of the top like 100 fucking athletes in this entire to, bitch, like man. run out with the people and go in the stadiums yeah. and play football with the elitist mm. football players and did the yeah. the NFL thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a blessing, man. It's a blessing. I mean, at one point, especially in, like, in Minnesota, you have, like little kids know who you are and shit. It's a yeah. pretty crazy thing, like saying your last name, Uncle Trill, like, like they, you know what I mean? They, and you, because you're making a name for yourself. That's you get crazy. an article and you see people, you see people screaming your name from, you know, the top of the Raptors that you don't even know, things like that. You know what I mean? Mm. It, it's 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 definitely a blessing for sure. Nah, it's so big. Like I don't even like I don't know. I'm just sitting there going, holy shit, this guy's in the NFL. Like this is a crazy start. He's just like fucking, cause yeah, like I mean, I walked onto this guy's podcast and I'm just talking my shit for like an hour straight. You know, I'm just kind of what I do. Uh, uh, good, but then it's like crazy. I'm like, yo, let's book him for. I can learn about who he, this guy is. And I was like, holy shit, that's a big. Yeah, but, <laughs> but also, like Trev was so interesting too. But like, completely like this guy saving people with cancer treatments and shit. I'm just like, who the fuck are y'all? Who are the King's Court? You know, this is a fucking crazy. We some other shit. I mean, I know the Willie story. That one we got. Mm. And so I know Willie a bit better, but Jesus, you're a fucking interesting. Plus, you know how to tell a story. (laughs) I'm just able to just like sit there for like 10 whole minutes at a shot. Yeah. Fucking nothing. (laughs) This is fucking beautiful. Appreciate that. I appreciate that. What do you know for real? Nah, this is man. I'm entertained, and I'm like, fat, I'm raving. I'm just like, yo, you're so humble, but you were in the football. Uh, yo, I gotta be, man. Gotta the be. NFL Fuck everybody, for man. Real. That's serious. 
So you're playing with the Chargers, like doing real football stuff, living real football dream. I don't know, bro. Yeah, man. Because the way you put it, like there's tears to this shit, and you were not in the middle. There most is tears to this shit. Yeah, like if you just getting like one year contracts and making practice squad money, man, you only had like twenty k in your account or ten k in your account. Whereas these other motherfuckers playing four or five years, they get a minimum of, you know, uh, I think the minimum at that point was like one point three mil. Or something like that, or the minimum was five twenty-five, something like that. So your entire you're not rolling like they roll it. You try to, like a dumbass, but you're not. You know what I mean? You're not. And some of the players were humble as hell too, man. Some of the guys I know, like RIP Rest in Power, a guy named Vincent Jackson. He was with us also. And he just passed away, I think, uh, a couple months ago. He's found him, but he was my homie, man. Like he was cool as hell. Like we was in San Diego, like you dig like I'm talking about like Taco Tuesdays was a vibe. Like Taco Tuesdays was people like ain't about tacos at five o'clock. It's about going out. You know what I mean? I don't know what it was about tacos, but yo, you just eat some tacos and then you go out. And like yo, Vincent Jackson would come through and be with you. And, and you, you know, you're a small time player, so you don't really know. You know what I mean? What's going on? That out of that, you go over there doing your thing. That and and you don't even think that these guys are because some of these guys are big dogs. Some guys like you ain't nothing. Don't talk to me. You know what I mean? But some guys are like, they can make millions of dollars. Like, yo, I got you. Don't trip. Like, you know, you're cool. You're part of the team. Like, well, I don't care if you just came here for one year or came here, you know, 20 years ago, whatever. From. So Vincent Jackson was one of those dudes. I remember I was like breakdancing together on the dance floor, like on Taco Tuesdays and this shit. Like, you know what I mean? And then like, even like the Damian Thompson, who was like a Hall of Fame player, him just, you know, we literally just, you know, back, back in the area, they had, this, they had these huge facilities and he was just in the cut, like, you know, putting bandages on our fucking fingers or whatever. He's coming up and just tell you, what's up, what you doing? Like, just talking, like, shooting the shit. And then remembering you years down the line because of that. Like, damn, you just see me right now. He can remember me. And these guys are like Hall of Fame football players. So it's humbling because they have also been, like, I've seen the greatest be humble. I've seen Philip Rivers, like, he doesn't cuss. And he, like, introduces himself. And this guy was making, at that point, I think like twenty eight million, like total over like three years, as far as endorsement deals and everything. Like he he's a humble dude. Like he has a family man, and you'll see guys like that. Like yo, you got all this money, you don't got passion nothing. You got a nice car, but you know you're a family man, and you like so that that's why I kept I keep it humble, man. And like you know what I mean, real talk, because I wasn't even doing shit. Plus. Like, I was there, but I've seen other ones who have long-term careers. I've seen Randy Moss, man. Randy Moss was a humble dude. Like, even though I didn't play at the Vikings, he would come back and do a charity event in Minnesota for Cleft Lip. And it was a bass fishing tournament. He would call me. Yo, he called me, bro. I ended up fucking fishing with Roy Jones Jr. Like, you know what I'm saying? Shit like that. Like, I, I put in the position to meet people like that. Like, I, I was, it was... First of all, it was crazy to see how little he was. So I'm thinking, like, I'm, this dude was not going to lose out. He was so small. Like, he was just so little. I'm like, yo, but he'll knock you. Like, he was just amazing with it. And he was cool as hell. So humble. Like, he was humble as fuck, too. Like, I was nobody else, bro. Can I get a picture? He was like, yeah, what's up, man? Oh, you play? Oh, let me get a picture of you, too. Fuck that. Like, Roy Jones asked me for a picture. I wasn't shit, bro. So that really got my head like, yo, man, humble yourself. People know what it is with me. I'm not, I'm not a brag. I'm always going to keep it humble. I don't care how much money we have to make out of this shit. Always got to keep it humble. Always. You know, that's big That's big respect. But still, yeah, you, have, you have a very interesting life. 
<laughs> it doesn't change. The game. <laughs> um, okay, so you're in the the Chargers and you're playing footballs, and then yeah, I don't know how long that lasts for, or what else is worth talking about from this. So era. like, yeah, I mean, just a little bit, just lasting. I ended up playing a couple other like leagues, like minor leagues after that, like um, like arena football for a year, um, and then this UFL for a year. And that was it. Cause once I got to the mindset, I was getting, I got banged up one year. I made the whole season. But then the final next year, I got hurt. Meniscus. So I got to the mindset, like, I don't want to get hurt anymore, dog. Like, mm. it's just a grind. And once that sets in you, even a fucking millisecond of a percentage, you have to stop playing. Because when you're playing with that reckless abandonment, like, I could just run through a wall right now. You could, you, you're successful, but but you're playing like yo. I, I don't. I'll get run here. I'm gonna get hurt. That hesitation will get you fucked up or get somebody else fucked up. So you can't play no more. So I was in at the time Rochester, New York, and um, I was just you know that was it. And I played for the UFL. Um, actually, it was in Rochester, and at the time I was. This is when I started really. You know, I was already going to Toronto a lot when I was a younger, just on some like tourist shit. But I remember my first real years was in college a little bit, like playing hoop it up and shit okay, let me, can in I college. Ask a, a, little, yeah. a little question. So if you're a young person from mm -hmm. Buffalo touristing in Toronto, what do you do? Yo, we really don't, we would like the Raptor games was cool. And then like, we really just to keep it G dog, we would just, what we would do was cruise around because the city to us was beautiful. I love Toronto. There's a reason why I got to see it. I love Toronto, dog. It, it introduced me to a perspective life as far as like finance. Cause at the time too, we're talking like, I'm talking like the first time I really enjoyed the skyline was 2001. Yo, trust, how, trust and believe how like literally like there were no that many condos back. <laughs> so, you know, you've seen a beautiful skyline. You're seeing businesses way, way better in Buffalo. So I was like, yo. And then I remember how I thought it was clean, too. This is like when I was like 16. I was like, you know, I'm going to Jamaica every year. I'm going to Toronto. So I got family there. And we meet. But we we basically just cruised around the city. You know, we really didn't stop at so many tourist attractions. We didn't do the scene and all that shit. Went to the Raptor game, got something to eat. And then we just like go to the mall, like, like going to eat and just moving around. And then getting up on Dundas, walking down Dundas, yo, then my first time I'm with the Bloor Street and really saw some real rich shit. That's when I was like, okay, yo, this is, this is a different type of perspective of life, man. And then being not looked at so in, so uh, aggressively for being black. Where I'm from, like, you can walk around being black. They got idea, oh, what kind of black guy are you? Are you a thug? Are you a this? Are you that? Where I'm in Toronto is like, what you mean? Anybody really care what, you know, what color you are? You know what I mean? You're walking by, like, whatever. So we felt that, you know? So when I fast forward to now, I'm going to Rochester, I start going to Toronto now heavy again. And I remember my going to Carabana a few years back before then, but I remember 2008 Carabana was when I really fell in love with Toronto. What is Carabana? That was the, so Carabana is, is the uh, Caribbean festival that's always happens in Toronto. And it happens in the first week in August. It's a long tradition. I mean, you're talking like carnival. Okay. I mean, it, it goes from like Thursday to Monday, like that civic holiday in Ontario. So we would cross 
all the time for Carabana. And Carabana was big and even states like people from Atlanta would go to Toronto, like Shaquille, like these athletes and stars, some of these people would pop up to go to Carabana. Carabana was big. So it gave life to Toronto. Like that's what it was. It was the, to me, it was the sexiest festival. Um, you had hip hop artists, like, you know what I mean? Rick Ross would do a fucking party during Carabana. You know what I mean? Like this is how big it was. And so I'd been there, like when we played Hoop It Up in the basketball tournament, I'd been to this thing. That's when I remember, I remember like, that was like, that was like 2000, I think three, when I met this girl named Tatiana and she was grabbing my ears and she was mixed with all types of shit. And I'm like, that was the first Toronto girl I ever met. And I was like, this is the best place ever. Right? So, so, so 2009, I'm sorry, 2008 into nine, I'm sorry, it was 2009 actually. We go to Carabana, me, it was me and my half brother. We, we meet my homies up there at the time. Cause I've been, this is like, I'm known in Toronto. I've been going up there a lot. I got the street fam up there. We in there clear about it from like Thursday to Monday. And I remember just having a time of my life, man. I remember for whatever reason, that vibe that weekend was like literally perfect. Like, I don't know if you ever had a time where every party and every cookout or, or you know, outdoor party or every spot that you hit landed. It wasn't no bunk shit. It wasn't no like horrible party. Everything from the backyard parties with the, uh, you know, gazebo and the open bar grill and the people and a DJ and a buffet. And it was just like, you knew people in there. So it was legit to like the parties in mansion where it was like a, a Hennessy party, but it was like Hennessy sponsored it. And it was like 45 bucks a ticket. So it was a classy event, but it was like still mm. good people in there. And it was just enough that like, perfect room for you if you was in there like with your people you had plenty of space but but still packed enough that it was still live in there so it was like a perfect like setting like i came like then you go to the bar and get your drink immediately because there's nobody at the bar really like that but everybody's just in a vibe it was like a whole huge house party instead of a club night like it was and there was enough people in there to be like whatever all these things that night hit I remember just being like, this is the greatest fucking city ever. And me and my boys had already been coming up to Toronto every weekend crazy, before man. and doing it. But like that year is when I was like, this is the best shit. Even at the parade, dog, we got, we was in the parade. We got, and we were talking about, we behind the gates. We in the float. And I had pictures on MySpace of like, like five, six guys, them jumping, like going crazy, whining. Like it was like, we had never even experienced like not aggressive females, but females where I'm from wouldn't even really approach us like that. So we fell in love with Toronto immediately. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, we, we didn't even know. Like, you know, of course we American black dudes with the accent and they come right up to us. And like, we, we would be so raw. Like, look, honey, I ain't, you know, I'm out here working hard. You know what I mean? Buff, buff, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm in my small apartment. I got my car right there. They, they wouldn't even care. Like, yo, you got a job? Bet. Boom. Like, let's talk. Like, so we respected that shit a lot. Where even where we were from, these motherfuckers was turning their nose on us. <laughs> I'm like, who the fuck? I'm going to Toronto and getting this, these beautiful, diverse females and, and being with these people. And yo, your ass is fucking dugging me in Buffalo, New York. Fuck out of here. Across that bridge. I'm out of there in an hour and a half. Mm. So... I'm hitting the highway 2009. I'm literally going there every weekend. Oh, it's crazy that you say it like that because me and my girlfriend went to Toronto. This mm -hmm. was like 2019. And we tried to find a place to club hop or whatever. I couldn't figure this shit out for the life of me. We tried to bar hop and everything's so fucking far it, apart. And like, you need a car is. to do this right. And I, 
It was this, it is. This is the weirdest shit ever. And so you're like, it, is. it was like the latest night of great parties. And I'm like, I don't know how that happened. I got to figure that Yo. shit out because, man, I had like the, well, we have to really research this properly next time experience. <laughs> oh, well, like, you know, I had a friend named my best friend right now to this day named Steve. Call him Steve Love. And Steve, you know, he'd been there. He'd been doing Toronto again probably since like 99. I met him in Toronto. He's from Buffalo. He's from like, he's like, he's literally family with my family. He's like, he's my cousin, basically. And I met him at Hoop It Up. And we kind of like, we the Buffalo crew, right? He ended up being my best friend. And he's, he's been up, he was like a Toronto connoisseur. So he knew where to go, like Lobby Nightclub to Empire. And like Empire had the free parking. So we can save money if we go to Empire. And like, you know what I'm saying? He knew how to kind of maneuver through. And for whatever reason too, we were from Buffalo. We were well-dressed black men. And we came with class and we knew how to talk. So most of the time, there'd be like a fucking line out there. We'd ask, you know, we asked for the manager, whatever, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Hey, we from out of town, show us a little love, boo boo boo. Next thing you know, he's, but he, we walking in that bitch. We got a couple free drinks, we having a good time. And that happened week, like almost every weekend. We just ended up, you know, knowing some promoters too at the time, you know, promoters at the time were big. So you get those promoters that would get us in these party spots and, Man, we were just having a great, a great time, a great time in Serrano. But then also just linking up. I remember just being right next to Carnella Fisher, literally at, at a redemption party. He, you know, he was just there, like in the drink. I'm like, yo, I looked at him. I had to give him, I had to give him his flowers, right? I'm like, yo, I'm from Buffalo, bro. I'm gonna tell you what happened. You dropped your shit, you know. This is ill. He was cool as fuck, humble as shit, man. Yo, I can't believe it. Thank you, yo, Buffalo crazy, y'all wildin'. Like it was just a whole little two minute convo. And, you know, to keep it G with no pictures and be like, man, you know, I'll see you soon and then walk away. It was cool. You know what I mean? And, and to to be able to interact with those people like that and surround them like that. It was crazy because Buffalo was tense. Buffalo was so tense. You couldn't go out like that. And it was also racist. Like, it was very racist. So to feel that diversity, feel that classness and I'm like the classiness of, of everything and in the streets and maybe able to at the time like you know shit, smoke on the street cop walk by he don't give a fuck like you know what i mean we out there like cops see us smoking they throwing us in the car we might get shot like <laughs> you know so we we i'm falling in love with the city and falling in love with the people been able to maneuver the right way like i said you got it is spread apart you're right it, there's like richmond ave and like a couple areas that are okay but like there's nothing where you can like there's not a strip where it's like there's 10 bars in this one area yeah, just, it ain't like that just in Toronto. So everyone knows. I'm I'm coming from Montreal, where I came to see we we're. Spoiled. Oh yeah, spoiled. exactly. You can talk about that too, fucking everything right there, like just <laughs> right there. Get your yeah. lights over the fucking, you know. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that, but That's yeah, hilarious. That's that was that was Toronto, man. That was. That was loving him. Of course, I was back and forth from Toronto, Buffalo, Rochester. It was like I called it the triangle. I'm more like the look the L. I said, not the triangle. Yeah, it was the L. Rochester, Buffalo, you know, triangle. Now, then I went to, I left Rochester um, around 2009. I played like one more in the UFL, but I played real quick. And then I said, that's enough. Left Rochester as I was still going to Toronto. Now I'm in Buffalo. So I'm happy to be back in Buffalo because I'm now, I'm actually so happy that I'm closer to Toronto. So instead of being a three-hour joint, now it's like an hour and a half joint. So at the time, I was uh, I was uh, 
going back and forth to Burlington, I would think the person at the time, female uh, in Burlington and like, she was from Collingwood and from Toronto. So I was getting like a lot of vibes and then learning some shit too, right? But I was also still my boys, like downtown, like it was crazy. Like we were still, you know, hanging out, not like we used to, but we would still do different vibes and catch different things. Like I remember going to the Hot Box Cafe for the first time. You know what I'm saying? There. I was there when yeah. you could when you when you could just yeah, burn that's what I'm saying. The back you just burn you could, the back. Yo, you could rent the vape yeah. for like fucking five dollars or whatever, and, and then you like, you just bomb for five bucks too. Bro, you just bring your own shit. Oh, that was yeah. it was a vibe back there, bro. Like summertime, it was a fucking vibe. People don't get that. Like before, you could smoke anywhere, anywhere in the city freely. Hot Box Cafe was that oh, like pay that five beautiful. You walk in the back and you could smoke whatever you want. Everybody was back and just puffing and, and it was just like you know somebody might play some music and shit. Da da da. I remember I went back. Yeah, I went. There, I had a vibe right. I went back there with like my weed. I had my blunts and joints and I had like some. It was hot as hell, so I had like got some fresh icies and a cooler and shit, bro. I was about to with smoking with some like <laughs> like some icies and shit, like having a vibe, just having it for myself chilling. You know what I mean? And that whole Kensington area too. You know, going to Rasta Pasta, going to Itel Kitchen, going to places that are good for me and for everybody. Going down there, getting some fruit at the market, going, you know what I mean? Like everything's a vibe at Toronto, man. And so um, getting that and then coming back to Buffalo, you know, I was getting the mixture of it. And then I started legitly recording in 2000, like, a, like around 11 or 12, I started really recording. Okay. I met with these dudes. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say, so you're you're in Buffalo at this time in 2012. You're popping into Toronto a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. That's crazy because the Hot Box Cafe does not let you smoke inside or vape inside. No, anymore, which is bad. Not anymore. Really, it's not, that's crazy. It's not lit. I went there. We went on that trip because I was like, Yo, Bonnie, you gotta check this place. It's so fucking. And cool. then it wasn't lit. You can still smoke in the back, but like now it's not lit. Because you can smoke everywhere. In well, you can smoke in the back. In the, yeah, you can smoke in the I back. Fucking nigga, I can smoke in the back in the front. Now, apparently, there's like cool cigar lounge, like, cigar lounge like places, but I only found out that they existed at the very tail end of our trip there. So I was like, yeah. Oh, well. I don't even, but do they allow you to smoke weed in those places? They're not like above, they're more like underground. So underground, okay. That's the thing. Well, I know, like, you know, Mr. Idiot over there at the province, he was Mr. Four Fuck. He was, he was saying, that before the pandemic, the next thing was up was cannabis lounges because they were like, yo, we need us. I don't understand, excuse me, how you can not have a place where people can freely smoke cannabis safely. Because to me, it's like, if you don't want me gassing up on a corner somewhere, give me the spot, like, you know what I mean? I go, especially where you at, Montreal, I was there, dog. Dog, yo, yo, shit, eh? yo, yo so oh mad. my yo, it's God, a, so bro. check it. So just the Montreal, right? Or the Quebec is the landlord association of whatever Quebec pressure yeah. the government to make sure that they could pass a little thingy in the leases that if your existing lease was still in place three months after legalization, a bailiff could show up and amend your lease without consent to prohibit the smoking of cannabis products with anything on the building premises, including your balcony. Wow. So, wow. Man shows up for me Christmas Eve, 8 o'clock p.m. Me and my dad's are smoking pots in the living room. Man shows up with wow. the bailiff for 24 fucking 30 days, whatever. But you got to think about that law. Now they can evict you 
uh, yep. just like that for smoking herbs. But it's also illegal to smoke in public because that's what I was saying. But now yeah. it's like worse than before. Yeah. I, I remember to be being fair, let's just give credit. Nobody I know has ever gotten in trouble smoking a joint in Montreal since personally. Okay. Okay. Well, like I said, when I, I was out there, we'll get to that. But I remember being out there, being in the fucking gym and goddamn cold St. Luke and see and hearing the radio station announce that law. And it was just, um, it was like utterly ridiculous. I remember being like, okay, oh, so I'm on the fucking action. grass, I'm smoking, I'm good. But if I put my foot on the sidewalk, I'm not. Right, like, Yo, I don't even fuck with Code St. Luke though. They have like, oh no, oh boy, Hampstead was has, bad, bro. I think it's Hampstead has no vaping laws, even like you. So, well, you have the vape, and then you gotta put it in your pocket for like three blocks, and then you can take it out and have a pot. Yes, for real, real. Nah, we'll get to Code St. Luke in a minute because, like, yeah, Code St. Luke was a, was a fucking serious situation, bro. It was serious in St. Luke. That is, it yeah, was a little serious. I hear that because I grew up there, but anyway, uh. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. Uh, fair enough. So we're in 2012. You're, uh, start yeah. What makes you decide to start recording music? Yo, that has, like, it was um more like I just really had it in me to do. I really had it in me to do. It was like, I want to put something out. I started seeing the plane of how things were. I knew I didn't want to be, like, you know, at this point, you don't got to be, like, you know, some mainstream rapper to make a lot of money already in 2012. So you see people in the underground doing a lot of money in shows. And so I knew that I had a sound. I knew I had a voice. I knew I had a progression, but I didn't know what to really write about. So 2012, late year, I'm starting to write. 2013, January 2013, I meet this guy named fucking Big Kahuna OG, a.k.a. his name Lucas. And we worked at Earthlink together, which was a tech spot. At the time, I'm doing tech. I'm doing uh, just simple IT, like basic, like password uh, unlocking and, you know, interfaces, things like that, like simple shit. So he meets me. He's like, yo, you rap? I'm like, yeah, he has a studio. He has a little mobile studio. Boom. We ended up just, I had so much to say. And I had a job where it was incoming calls, right? So when the job get low, put on the instrumental, they didn't have no blocking on the goddamn computer. So I'm in there pretty much getting paid to write rhymes. Even though I wasn't smoking, I was still able to put some shit together, right? So me and him put together this tape that's on SoundCloud right now called, it's part of the Yaper Gang called YPGM. We were Yaper Gang North because he was a Buffalo kid, but he had moved down to Richmond, Virginia for like 12 years and then came back to Buffalo. He was just in Buffalo with his with his mom, just working for a while. I don't know why he was back, just back. And he met me, and it was cool because he was actually from Buffalo, but he was like, you know, he's back now. So we put down. He was part of Yaper Gang. Yaper Gang was part of Richmond, Virginia. We we put together me and him Yaper Gang North. YPGN. I don't give a fuck. Look it up. YPGN SoundCloud right now. It's a classic. It really is. That's the young Coltrizi, before Rasta, powerful Coltrizi, street Coltrizi. Talking about Hennessy and all types of shit. And um <laughs> and so we put that together, right? And so 2013 and 14, I'm still getting this Toronto vibe. So we do a we do a song called Better Samples. That's on YouTube right now. Me and Big Kahuna OG. And that's actually 
one of the scenes is about a docks in Toronto. People know where the docks is, about the area right by the CN, right there by the docks. And the other scene is in Burlington, Ontario, right by the water, because on this side of the lake, it's much cleaner. You motherfuckers mm-hmm. do a good job up here. On Buffalo, it was shit. You don't see that much. And at that point, seriously, at that time, it would have been black. This shit looked like the beach where oh we at, God. right? Like, it's crazy. I didn't even, like, I, hold up. You're saying yeah. that literally, just because it's, like, the same, like, body of water, one of the Great Lakes, I think, right? You uh, see? Oh, yep. That shit is black on, on, on your side of the... the on place. our side, at that point, it was, like, brownish, yeah. Is it It was, like, now? brownish. It's much better now. They put, like, $33 million into it. And, like, it was so, it was so much shit in there that an island was erected. So that's how much shit was in there. You know what I mean? It was bodies. It was uh, tars. It was it was the Bethlehem still dumped all their toxic waste and fucking tools in there. It was crazy. People were fucking dumping everything in there. It was nuts. So and somehow the same body of water on Canada side. It was like, some, well because the current of the falls kind of like flushes okay. shit out. So you guys were on the receiving end of the shit. And yeah. We were on the, yeah. The clean end of it. So it's more like like no, I w- yeah. A bit of, a bit like of going luck. to the. Yeah, like going to the beach when I was, I would go to the beach still in Buffalo, spot called Mickey Rats, or probably rest of the Ricky Rats. That was South, like South Buffalo, way out in spot called Angola. And dog, yeah, we was drunk, but let's get real. The water was nasty. Like, was it fucking like out there? You get out the water, get that like pond water smell and shit. Like, whatever. You know what I'm saying? But then we would go to like Crystal Beach, even just Crystal Beach. And that was just on the other side of that lake. And dog, the water was so much fucking better. Yo, we crossed the border, go to Crystal Beach, the water's clear, see right through, no smell, everything vibe. Like we would cross the border and like do that shit. Like it was nothing. Like it was nothing. Like it was it was perfect, right? So the water out there is like, you know, it's it's different type of vibe. So that video, we did it like that. You know what I mean? By BG, we did that shit. And so we are I'm part, I'm, and I'm still like they family, you know what I mean. So I'm doing going to Richmond, Virginia. And I'm doing a grind. Like I put at the time, I put the Greyhound bus first show was in a spot called I think it was called Epic Fest in Richmond, Virginia. And my man Chapo and uh, Big Kahuna, Deuce, Mars, you know what I mean. Those guys, all the whole crew, everybody down there was did the whole show. Got on, you know, what I mean, did a little something, had a little fun. Did another show in Queens. Um, and then, you know, went up and now it's like, it's time for me to do my thing. So Buffalo was kind of different for recording. And I was in Toronto so much or in that area, you know, so much that I ended up meeting these people called XD, which was a studio, um, out in like the Mississauga area. And I ended up recording a couple of songs that I actually didn't even put on that this first album because they were just kind of like warm up songs. I remember, I remember I recorded like three songs that. I didn't even like, uh, I still have them in the, in the cut. I might release them on some like late shit, but I did like a bunch of them. Like, and they're, about, and they're all about my Buffalo days. You know what I mean? They're all about my like, my young days doing wild shit. Da, 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 da. So the only song that made the Selassie Soldier album was Around Me. And I did that song like 2015, 2015, like shit like that, right? So it took me a while to record. Like I was recording, but life was tough. Like I'm recording, I'm working. Don't know what like where to release. I don't know where I'm got. I'm in Buffalo and like I'm back and forth. Like you know what I mean. Like I'm just I'm dating this girl, so it's occupying all my fucking time too. Like I'm not really not knowing the direction. So I ain't gonna front. Like came a blur. 
a little bit, right? Like I'll record two songs a year, some whack shit. I knew it was there, but I just didn't know what. So at the time, I'm getting into the Rastafari faith. Now, mind you, before when I grew up, my dad did take me to Jamaica every year from the age of two to the age of 17 during the summer for like two weeks. So it was always in. So 2016, I'm sorry, 2015, I go back to the yard, right? And it, when I go back, I'm, I see my country, I see everybody, I feel it. I go back for a while. And it just felt like that resurgence of my reggae, the resurgence of the dance, all the resurgence of my sound. And then all of a sudden my conscious level just turned up, like turned the fuck up. Like I was kind of getting lost in even my faith that was it. I was in the Christian faith. Jesus Christ, same as they day forever. But I was also like, <laughs> but oh, that's great. I was also like, you know, in a level of like getting away from that. I wasn't going to fucking church. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm, I go to Jamaica. I'm getting to Rasta just to. I call it Rasta too because I'm just getting the basic faith. I'm smoking good weed, obviously. You know, we're talking about that good urban getting from Toronto. Let's get it popping. Let's 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 talk about how Canada was really putting it on. Cause I've been in Cali. And Canada got it. Let's keep it real. Like I don't even want I don't even know what people keep no. talking about. Canada had it. I had the first I, mango push the, in I'm Toronto. Just, I'm just saying, I, I hear you, but like back in the day, and I don't know when it was, somewhere between twenty fifteen and twenty seventeen. Yes. Uh, Quebec was it. And then all of a sudden, yeah, oh yeah, I heard it. Yeah, the great raids happened. So that's what happened. Quebec had it. Then they did the great raids where they they Mm -hmm. used the helicopters and they found the farms and yes, yes, legalization happened. Now the thing about legalization is now everybody's trying to sell weed to the government because why the fuck wouldn't you? So now your weed is to cap at thirty percent. That's it. Can't go more than thirty percent. Thirty percent. Can't got to go thirty percent. So that means back in the day, motherfuckers was out competing to grow super weed like a motherfucker, like it's California today. But then the yeah. government interfered and literally fucked up the mainstream weed game. Fucked it up. The, let, me, let me tell you something, man. They <laughs> fucked it up on a level that you can never understand. Okay, because now 2015, I'm also getting involved in the cannabis game. 2016, 2017, I'm getting involved. I'm not just buying this shit. We out here. You know what I'm saying? I got homies out here, you know, don't get into too much. But, like, I'm getting, we getting involved with it. You know what I mean? I'm smoking great, you know. And at the time, I go to Jamaica, too. So I knew some growers out there. 2016, I go to Jamaica twice. I go to 2015, I go to 2017. 2017 is when Coltrizzi really came out to the forum. Like that was when I we got to change up this whole shit. We got to get you know we got to not eat meat. We got to do all that right. But when it came to the cannabis shit, like I was on it, and I and I remember crossing the border and in the border agent saying, even in 2016, they like you know because I'll bring the backwoods up. They're like you know you smoke weed. I'd be like yeah, I didn't smoke today. I don't have any on me. Like you don't got to lie, right? They're like, yeah, don't bring some up because uh, it's going to be legal soon anywhere. Just like, and they kept saying it for year after year. And sure enough, you know, Trudeau was like, yeah. so as I'm coming up, you know what I'm saying? And really getting involved, I end up going 
and then ended up getting the papers in 2018 and then I'm moving to Napanee, Ontario, out of everywhere because I had to work out there. Oh, the do drywall. Is, that's that is in the middle. That is by outside of Kingston, okay. Ontario, not too far. But it's by the reservation called Tidanega or the territory called Tidanega. I'm sorry. And Tidanega has, at this point, I think they're at that point at 56 dispensaries. So as I'm getting my sound, as I'm coming to the Rastafari Faith, I just moved from like downtown Buffalo, right? I was, and it was funny too, because I, I, my last time in Buffalo, I was in the heart of Buffalo. I got to spend my last years in the heart of downtown, dog. I was in Main Street. Like when, I, when they do flies over, I can see where my room is. So I was downtown. I was able to walk to work for a good year and a half while going back and forth to Montreal and, and um, Napanee at this time, right? Because I was going to Montreal. I was doing a whole circle. I was I was I was dating someone in Montreal and I was going to Napanee and I was coming down to Buffalo work like I was on a fucking highway bro so I go through Toronto <laughs> you know what I'm saying it was like a whole circle up to 90 up Watertown hit Montreal go fucking west go to Napanee go to Toronto come down go to Buffalo and I was just doing this grind because I knew where my goal was was to get get here in Canada so finally, I got the napping. Bam, got the napping and doing drywall there. And everything's working out good. And I'm doing my research on the reservation. I'm sorry, on the territory. I keep fucking saying that shit, my bad. On the territory. And literally meeting people in the cannabis industry, going through, but also doing my music at the same time. Now my music's getting the, getting the vibe. I'm doing recording through this. Now I'm recording more. Now I'm in Buffalo. As I, and this is when I met Scott in 2018. And the recording with Sky, and doing a couple of the fucking. How do you meet Sky? So my, Sky was through through my ex. Like basically, he knew my ex girl, and they like knew each other from a long time. And she was like, "Yo, this dude's ill record with him." So me and Sky linked up. It was it was like it was perfect. It was like bam, that was that, and we recorded pretty much half the album Selassie Soldier at Sky's. Uh, studio, and he he actually came. He was one of the first ones. Him and Polly were the first ones that came out to one of my shows out there that I did at the Bistro Saint Jacques. Yo, um, yeah, so he was one of the ones. Bistro Saint Jacques. Listen, yo, I performed the Bistro Saint Jacques, and we had a um, like a, a vegan company there, like like here that shit. It was like it was vibe, man. It was cool. I got the invite to that event and said, nah. <laughs> I promise. I guarantee you did. Because we, we send a lot of we send a lot of people that invite a lot of people that invite nah, right and I've been there before it was so, yeah. yeah it was tight though like it was like I don't know how I I I pulled it off because I lived, basically performed on a stair you know what I'm saying but I pulled it the fuck off oh, I got it right you know what I mean and it was popping it actually was a good show and and like man Sky was there probably there I'll tell you it was live right um so I'm recording then. And then I'm pretty much, I got a good catalog, right? Like I'm, I'm working through. And um, as I'm in Napanee, I do the first, one of my first shows is uh, in the Indigenous Cannabis Cup. Um, that's in Canada, that was my first show in Canada. Was, first show was down and I was in How do y'all get invited to this show? All right, cause you knew that we'd be, 
Never mind. Never yeah, mind. yeah, but no, but but I was like I knew a couple of them, but I was also networking these with these people for like six months. Like I was putting a little bit of singles out, had some music out. You know what I mean? Yeah, a little something. Because it's not, it wasn't like it was a big like this situation wasn't like we didn't get paid for this. It wasn't like a booking like that. Like yo, just come through, do this free week perform. Great, cool. Like this stage is crazy. It's a thirty thousand dollars stage amongst. 50 vendors yeah i'm performing you know what i mean i knew where i was at I, like i'm like because at the time markets this is before legalization markets were happening every other day and there was like you know either djs or performers so there was plenty of artists that were working that market circuit where like they were like pretty much performing week to week at these cannabis markets right and so i was getting in there too so one of my first shows was at the icc so Basically, I'm sitting there and um, I do my show with the ICC. I get, I get it popping like there. And then I do, you know, more shows. I'm sorry, the Bistro St. Jacques show. And that's when um, about six months into it, we do the Bout It video. And Sky is actually, if you look, it's funny you say like Sky, go check out the Bout It video. Sky is in that video. Sky is like all up in that video. I, have a, I didn't check the Bout it yet. video. I honestly if you check that out, yeah. Nah, yeah, I, mean, I know Sky for because uh, I used to roll with this dude that was like close friends with Sky. Like we're saying, he helped build the booth. So I, I remember. Yeah. I remember watching pictures of the booth get built. I mm. one of my tracks uh, is this hip hop is the name of it is recorded at Sky Beats, mixed mastered by him. I got the Sky experience hey. too. Um, yeah. I've known him for years. I've gone to his crib at least eight or nine times maybe seven times wow for different reasons. small world man that's Took crazy a picture there one time but it's because of my next foot guy who like uh, knew him really well and then over mm. the years i swear sky beats his name in the montreal side has come up about 15 to 20 times on different interviews Montreal, yeah yeah he bangs he bangs man he bangs. He's, he's 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 well known and he works he works really well plus like, his he's, own music he's, which he's so fucking low key about is really good. Yeah, it's actually really good. It's actually really good. About five days, about five days. But yeah, like, and he's really is low key about it. So, nah, I like him a lot. He's or whatever. Oh yeah, no, nah, cool. It was just like Mount Royal, we did it, man. We just did it uh, right there early, like at nine o'clock on Mount Royal. And it was just like, we just shot it like real bold with it too. My boy, uh, Clyde, shout out to CXJ uh, Photography. Like, um, he was there and we just, just made it happen, right? Like, just made sure that nobody was around but kick us out real quick, man. You know, and, and people were watching. People actually observed it. It was like, they were really cool with it. You know what I'm saying? Because there's a lot of people there, but we just kind of ducked in the back. And um, we ended up doing that scene and then we didn't another scene like in the next day or whatever but it was a quick little bit about it because i thought i was going to drop you know within the next you know a couple months after that you know what i'm saying like i had icc coming up pretty soon the second year in Major's cannabis cup coming up soon so i wanted to get the videos done so i only got about a video out there and uh dropped that joint and then um then in the second year i actually do another show with uh, a group called space camp out of Philly, and they end up doing a show in Kingston, Ontario, at this at the spot called Seven Ten Kingston Smoke Shop, which is now a dispensary. But and now they were just a glass like a, a head shop. And did a play? They did, a, they did an event called Blunts and Barbecue, 
So I ended up performing there and that was actually ill because they actually like, that was legitimately my first real solid, like paid compensated fully gig. And I didn't even have an album out yet. It was just off the rip of like, I had a song, I had some music. It's like, yo, you're crazy, dude. And I was already gonna perform again at the Indigenous Cannabis Cup. So he kind of saw that, you know what I mean? Linked off there and then I said, all right, boom. So second year, I performed in front of the Indigenous Cannabis Cup. This time I'm in Montreal now. This time I'm living in Montreal. And this is when I'm living in fucking cold St. Louis. <clears throat> so, you know, just really gritting it and grinding it, still doing this is when I was working with Sky, actually. You know what I mean? Really doing about three tracks every other month with Sky. Really knocking some real shit out. So I'm ready to drop. Um, I got to ask coming a question, up. though. That's Go not ahead. what the chat wants me to ask. They can wait. Where in Costa Luke <laughs> are you at? Oh, man. All right. So it was on Trinity Ave. Aye, Trinity Ave. I yeah, grew up right Costa Luke, man. That's like my fucking shit. It's like, like if you were in Costa Luke, I probably cycled by you singing at some point. <laughs> Dog dog ass. I was, I was there. I would go to the IGA supermarket all the time right there and then even before i like when i would come visit um, my ex she was living off cavendish it's right around that area too but like coach st luke i was off trinity as and then um legitly uh yeah being moving anywhere else that day i was on trinity Ave, and so i would like walk around everywhere i walk to the gym up the street like um what else? We try to get we try to get this memory out of my head right, but now I'm bringing it back. So yeah, it was trying to add, dog. Like not a lot of moving around in Montreal at that time. I was I was actually working in Ganawaki. I was working at Playground Poker. Mm. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying I was working out there doing some training, doing some sort of stuff, right? So, um, again, doing the music thing, but it was getting tough. And then next thing you know, I'm ready to really finally drop, and then. Boom, COVID hits, stupid ass pandemic hits. And that put a little bit of a kibosh because I had to get personally, you know, priorities. Like I was like, I couldn't even drop because I didn't barely even had like shit was moving, shit was moving slow. So, um, you know, things happen. I ended up having to go back to Toronto. And this is like this last summer. And this is when I actually started writing even more. You know, really getting heavy. Like I was getting into my faith before too. The Rastafari. I was, I was liking the locks was growing. I was getting locked in. I was getting my sound right. But about, I'd say, in the last two years is when the shit really clicked in that form. And I don't know if it was because when the life I went through, and I can't really speak on what I because <laughs> it was crazy, but. It was a life, man. It was it was a tough situation and a lot of writing got done, a lot of consciousness got done, a lot of reading and leveling up of, of the whole mind and, and aligning your paradigm somewhat into a fucking better area and yet fucking had, it had to happen for me. So I got a Toronto dog. I was like downtown by myself, just doing it like, you know, and really getting getting right in the head. And, and next thing you know, you know what I'm saying? I moved out. Um, to London, Ontario, and I met this guy named Jelly, um, who really put the battery in the pack. Like Jelly is a producer, uh, website dude, whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? 
And, um, but he also was a great engineer. And all I need is, to me, all I need is somebody like, that's why me and Scott work together because Scott just gets it done, bam, he's ill. And all I needed is somebody, you know, no matter what town I'm in, all I need is somebody to kind of do that. But Jelly steps up, like he does everything. Like the website mm-hmm. that I have, he did that. That's a good website. The video. Yeah, yeah, appreciate that. Like he, He's a one-stop show, I gotta give a shout. Cause without him, I don't even, cause he pushed me to drop it. Like I recorded more, he's like, we need to drop this now. I'm like, man, I don't know. I'm like, nah, fuck that. He's like, and, and I kind of felt the universe at the time because even the time when I was dropping it, you know, outside, you know, life was getting tough still. You know what I mean? Out here, but we were grinding through. You know, the whole team was grinding through. So, all right. Um, he, yeah, go ahead. So I have to ask a question. That yeah, if sure. I don't ask, the people in the chat will be mad at me. How did you meet Willie Scandals? Indigenous Cannabis Cup. I met him uh, the first year he was the MC. You know what I'm saying? And he was like there. We was cool smoking and we were just MCing. And then the second year, of course, he was there. We kept in touch, right? And um, I remember seeing him even downtown Montreal. I forgot what show I saw him at. It was for, uh, I forgot what show I saw him, but I caught up to him, I saw him. And then again, the second year Indigenous Cannabis Cup, he was emceeing again. So I was there and he was the one that got me. Like, I don't know about the story, but he was, I was telling, I was telling the story of King's Court. He was the one that, um, like, nobody, this, these other performers didn't show up. I wasn't supposed to perform the next, until, until the next day. But he was like, yo, you want to perform? I'm like, no. Nah. At this point, I just hit like probably like six dabs, then sm- like something crazy, then smoke my ass off. I'm like, yo, and I don't have, I'm not, I'm not even drinking the proper fluids to perform this 30 minute set. I'm like, but I ain't gonna be no pussy. So I said, yeah. <laughs> so I, I run over, <laughs> I run over to the, um, like, what do I forgot? Who, no, I had, I think I had the Gatorade on me, but I had somebody else who had some more Gatorade and drinks and some water. So I just like, quench my thirst for like a good 10 minutes. I just sit there, cause I was like about to pass. I'm like, I'm about to pass on this stage. I gotta do vocals and shit. I'm sitting here singing like, you know, pride. I'm, I'm going a different octave and bringing it. I'm like, you know, but man, to keep a G, when I came out there, I, I fucking killed the show. Mm-hmm. I killed that shit. Um, I remember one of the artists said that when you hit the mic, the whole place just stopped and it looked like, holy shit. Like it was like, cause I have a powerful voice. I brought it, I played, I came out with a song called Pride, which is on the slice of song too and in pride my my song is low like banging lines and you know we don't give a damn but at the icc i brought it up like banging lines and you know we don't give a damn and i said it like powerfully like that when i came out so the whole spot shut. so it was cool and i remember when i was, when I was when will was there Will was like the one he was actually running that shit and he was like yo you're killing that motherfucking shit and then obviously when i went to montreal Working in Ganawaki, Willie was out there all the time. So I was like pretty close to him, you know what I mean, at the time. So I knew that Willie's a solid dude on the front man. So Willie says he made you freestyle? Yeah, he did. Fair enough. He did make me freestyle. Um, when? Like he made me freestyle the first year, I think he did. And then Willie, and then Willie got on. I remember Willie just like went crazy, like he took a big swig of water. And then had this this uh, look on his face like the Mohawk warrior came out. He snatched the mic. 
and he just started going in. And you know how Willie does. It's hard for him not to fucking start battling everybody he sees and shit. Mm, I do know. But so he was going hard. Can we give Willie his credit? He Willie's a fucking animal. When he bro. comes to the crossroad, he keeps it inside. He, he keeps it inside, but I can see it in his eyes. He know what I'm talking about. I see, like, I mean, he'd be like, he'd be like, I'm like, yo, I see you about to just start chopping shit down. But he does it's it. In him to go. He wants yeah, to. He does it. But big ups Willie for time and placing that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Willie is a Willie is a killer. But Willie is Willie is the reason why. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm in the ICC. He's, he's been legit, man, 100 percent the whole time. He was, you know, even there, even like, unfortunately, I couldn't go last year, but he was there last year too. ICC. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, he's, he's a you know King's Court. You know what it is, game. Which is a great question to also ask. So, I mean, okay, let's 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 go back to you, finish it up, and then yes, Ismail, I saw what you asked. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. But uh, so you meet producer dude, y'all like elevate the game. You get the fancy website with the changing colors and the grandiose poses that looks yeah. like a chick magnet situation. I see what you're doing. Oh my god! <laughs> Yo, I just I could see it. It is what it is. Um, Appreciate that. I'm so you elevate it all, and then uh, what happens next for you? So didn't I just the Salasi Soldier album drops, man? It was cool. It was emotional when that album dropped because it was a 17 track joint. People were like, yo, how the fuck, you know, 17 tracks? What the fuck? And that was basically because that was a of 2015, man. You know what I'm saying? And that's one. Number two, I wanted to be like, yo, why doesn't anyone drop albums anymore? You know, there's few artists that still do, but people doing the little singles and the LPs. Let's just get some, you know, let's come out there, mm-hmm. fucking let's drop it. You yeah, know what I mean? Fuck I got it, an why not? That question, though. I do have an answer. It's because they do drop full albums, and then mm-hmm. nobody makes media about it, and it's hard to get attention. That's true. And then they don't put their lyrics on Genius. Mm-hmm. And if you're not on Genius, media don't know you exist, my guy. Or there's a few other sites too, but like. How is anyone supposed to know your album dropped? Like to pick That's it up, true. to do the re- and nobody puts the like I'm a guilty of a few songs not being there, but nobody puts their lyrics on Genius. So then me, yeah. every week I'm peeping Genius. Yo, it's dropping. If it's not mm-hmm. there, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously like the underground people ain't gonna be showing up in Genius, but like there's not really like a great way for people to know, as an example, that people are dropping full length projects like all the time. And then maybe right. they do the seven to ten track thing sometimes too, but like they just exist and nobody knows they exist. Mars, what's happening? Nobody knows, right? So I'm like, I don't know. Your album's good. Seventeen tracks are great freshness. Um, I appreciate that. Ismail makes a great case for Bandcamp here. You can get on their fucking auto mailing list feature when you follow artists. And to be fair. I do know every time Shades Laurence, who I followed one time on Bandcamp, every time she drops, I know. So, like, I guess there are ways, but as a person like myself who knows the media side of it, it's actually really fucking hard to know Katruzzi drops an album unless I happen to, like, happen to stumble upon him, and then, which happened in my case because of Willie. Uh, and then, like, I hear your, your, your music, and it's, like, fucking dope and all that good stuff. But, like, that's what's more the issue. So, like, yo everybody like willie dropped what a 16 track album in 2015 like many people have put out like full-length albums since then but who would know 
Like, like that's the thing. Know. Like, who would? Yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, and that's the thing. Yeah. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to anybody with their marketing uh. or anybody trying to make things happen. It's just I spent like nine years trying to figure out the hows and the what's of this. And I'm not saying I've succeeded, but I do think I've seen a couple of the issues as they are it's not the lack of quality or quantity it's not even interest because you explain griselda they put out so much shit. it doesn't make sense if there's like yeah. no market for it it was see and they to me watching griselda also gave me motivation they, to me they started the game and this is what i'm grinding hard to do even now but i remember like following west side Girl. Probably like in 2012 or 13, we had like maybe like 7,000, 8,000 followers. But here's the thing. They were so militant and they were so honored that he would just go ahead and release a hoodie, say a 500 hoodies, and they would sell out in two seconds. Mm. You know what I mean? Or, or things like that or art pieces or things. He was teaching the game of how building that militant core fan base from the ground up instead of just trying to, you know, just getting that thing and staying consistent and staying consistent with your sound and never letting go. Like, oh my gosh, they are I know, the, I remember, they're the definition yeah. of consistency with their sound. Yeah, absolutely. I can't even, I'm so proud to be from Buffalo to even be saying yes on people from my city because that's, they even, they even exemplify what Buffalo is about that when you hear that Griselda song, you hear that sampling, when you hear that, it's almost like that Midwest, that steel, we call it steel, steel town, man. That, you know, you got Buffalo, Cleveland, you know what I mean? You, you go down with it, and it's just like Pittsburgh a little bit. And it's just like, we have that retro 70s, 80s type, you know, kind of like beautiful, yet hard as fuck. And then when you even see like Kanye, you see West Side, you see, you know, Benny. It's like they literally are from areas that I know. And it's just they to me they they exemplify Buffalo. That hardcore yet beautiful sound that is just so consistent with every bar, but it's hard no matter how you're gonna play it. There's no way around it. It's and then that's the Buffalo man. That's the that's how we stand for. We don't really care where where anybody else is from. You know what I mean? Nobody gave us respect coming up anyway. We were always the big little little city from you know the middle New York City, whatever. And now look what happened. Ain't nobody in New York City can outrap the Zelda whatsoever. So, yeah, that's big, man. Yeah, went through that, man. So how did you, you know. release the album? Was there like a party? Did you do it virtually? Yeah, man, I just did it. You know what? And I said it was emotional because I mean I did it virtually, did this for a kid. And I actually worked on my, you know, I had a good relationships with a lot of good people personally that, you know, the promo was already in the people, man. The people were really going at it. Um, and um, I remember being on like, you know, my side and I do on my Friday nights <laughs> and um, really dropping it. And I remember I was on, you know, about five to about five grams at a time. And at that, was, that time you can't really look at your phone. Your phone looks like a fucking crazy, like, you know, lights are just, like, freaks you out. I saw it lighting up. <clears throat> and then, like, I was kind of emotional because I knew it was big, but I knew that, like, people, like, they were close to me. Like, my mom has, like, you know, heavy dementia, and then, like, my father are kind of, like, distant right now. Like, I haven't talked to him in years, so, like, 
you know, knowing to me, it was an accomplishment of things that I put together because of the timing, like when it was during the time and like how I was living and how me and everybody else from Scott and XD, all the producers, you know, that I run down with when it comes to like Swelty and Smoke Die, my boy Chapo, and again, my man Jelly, you know, all these people that, that, that really did that, that really did that, they, um, they really, to me, helped me out, helped me out a lot through all this. You know what I'm saying? So, um, dropping that digitally and then going off was like, it was kind of emotional. I just kind of sat there, just like let it go off. And then, you know, I'm also a humble person where I'm hungry because after it dropped, I'm like, I'm ready to go again. I knew, I knew that if I started, I can't stop. So that's why it kind of took me a long, a longer way to start, to mm-hmm. start. I could have dropped the album three years ago, but I knew it wasn't ready to be consistent. Right. So it was like, once I started really figuring out how my system was going to be consistent. And that's what kind of what I worked through during the, uh, the pandemic situation. And I was able to do that. I like what you said there. I actually finished my project that I put out in 2017. I had it ready to go in 2015, but I had no follow up. Yeah. No idea what Mm -hmm. to do next. No plan, not even a way to get a beat. So I was like, what am I going to do? Put this album out. And then I don't know if that was the right choice or not to this day. But that's what I right. chose to do. But since then, I've been pretty consistent with it. So I think I'll make yeah. the right choice. Uh, so I like what you said there because it's definitely something that people should think about. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. some people stockpile. Some people just release everything. Um, how did you end up on a King's Court? Yeah, man. So <laughs> or the King's Court basically started off on a different platform. Um, I think you know you have something to do with King's Court being coming to the fruition. That's why I think I think I think I think the sponsors owe you a pack. To be honest with you, I think I'm gonna gonna work that out, bro. Because Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get can I can I get to that? I think I can get to that. I don't give a fuck, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So we had started uh, me, my man Willie, and my man Elder. Um, We had started off on a different platform. Um, things didn't work out so well um, during the situation. And we decided to, Willie, Elder, and me, you know, were pretty much, you know, had to, I guess, apparently to keep something going, start our own situation called the King's Court. And King's Court just pretty much just came up overnight, you know, just said, we can do this. And, you know, Elder already had a platform. And, uh, you know, of course, Willie had his, had his whole thing going. Like, you know, he was already working extremely hard and had all the things popping and I was over here just doing my thing with, with the empowerment and the knowledge of my platform and the music so um, we just came together and that's it and King's Court has been extremely successful since then that's been going off you know what I mean? so that's really how it came to court just, just mm-hmm. kind of like that like spontaneous but it's where we knew what was going to happen and it's already been that we just signed our, our first sponsor officially uh, from Healing House two days ago Yo, that's so, crazy cool yeah. and that's crazy to think that i had a, i legitimately play a part in the start of the king's court and that's not you legitimately did yeah yeah <laughs> that's not cap like no cap like legitly <laughs> without um, this that situation happening um i guess it wouldn't have showed what could happen in the future with simple things and then we found that out 
it kind of it showed some true colors and then we just decided to, and we still have been classy about it we're not going to sit here and bash the body or get into anything like that and you know we we're not we're not even moving like that we don't we wish these people the best of luck and but we yeah, had a different type of thing. platform yeah we we had a different type of platform we were trying to do and the direction maybe didn't you know didn't didn't match up so we, we created our own it's all good it's been good ever since. and then king's court came through i don't mm-hmm. know i i enjoyed ranting i i said you guys <laughs> let me rant what can i say all day that was a good come time. rant bro but I like it. You guys have had a cool guest list. I mean, you had Travis Bryant there. I see Eulogy's mm. coming. Shout out Eulogy. Yes. He's fucking dope. Big shout out to Eulogy. Um, apparently, there's a strip club DJ coming this week or something. Yes. DJ Vega, I think is his name. We got some people in July also. I'll do what I can to peep it when I can. It's a genuine yeah. entertaining show. Um, all right, Willie. Now. Now would be an appropriate time for a Willie bomb if you were gonna drop it. <laughs> so you gotta yeah. structure things in a way where you get everything out nice and then let Willie come through. <laughs> I'm glad Willie's still on this motherfucker. No, Willie's really like straight up about it. Like Willie's Yeah, I love it, man. I appreciate it. Willie you, like he he's he's candid. If Toronto's playing hockey, fuck everything you're doing. Um he's yeah. he's got his own <laughs> shit that he's got going on. But like Willie, Willie's a cool dude. In general, I've, I've I've seen this guy be like, be in the be in the audience enough and then mm-hmm. participate in enough things where it's like I don't expect like people to come like be part of everything all the time. Like, listen, I get it. I go live like a hundred times a week, and mm-hmm. it can be excessive. But like, Willie makes that effort to even just pop in and say hi, you know, like which is right. nice. It's like it's like if you mm-hmm. have like a store in the neighborhood. You don't have to come buy something, but just put, popping in and through. saying hi is nice, you know? Yeah, and like it through. breaks the monotony of the day. And Willie's mm. super cool like that. And I, I respect it a lot. And I like watching Willie pop off and do all this shit and live <clears throat> live in, in an area that doesn't follow the same legal system as me. So he gets different benefits than I do with regards to sponsorships. <laughs> <laughs> Which is facts of it. All right. So Willie has right. come through with it. Whose wife of all the players you played with would you go on IG and take shrooms with? Player's wife I would take shrooms with? On IG? On IG. (laughs) It's such like a really specific question. Yeah, because like (laughs) the players that I play with, their wives may not be on IG. Nor would I fucking take shrooms with him. So I'm trying to think of anybody. <laughs> I can try to get me in trouble with shit. Yeah, Willie's definitely trying to get you in trouble with shit. Willie's really trying to fuck me. That's why I can't stand this motherfucker. Um, like, I spent three hours plotting this exact question and how to get him exactly into the kind of situation where Holden's channel becomes DJ Vlad. <laughs> There's no fucking way. Like I'm trying to figure out, like, nah, if you can, dog, players, players, wise, players. I'm not Willie. I read the question. I fulfilled my obligation. You have no obligation to actually answer the question. <laughs> but see, Willie, Willie doesn't let me let that down. Mm. So I had to either man the fuck up and answer the question, or hear his puss, his motherfucking ass, getting me, you know, give me shit for the next twenty years. 
That's fair. So I can see how really I'm gonna go be. ahead and answer the question. Really, you would dick, but I will oh, answer it for you. I didn't think about this. Is funny. <sighs> now take mushrooms with. Okay, yeah, that's easy. I mean, <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, there's a couple of them, but like mushrooms with. <laughs> Yo. Alright. <laughs> Alright, fuck that shit. I'll say it. I'll give a damn. I'll goddamn say it. Yo. Dante called Pepper's wife was pretty cool. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I'll take shrews with her. Or like, okay, how about th nah, that was that's personal. I'm not gonna say that one. You don't even you, know what that you is. You fulfilled the obligation enough. I fulfilled really, the obligation. That's that it. Really, really should not you. be able to now come at you and say that you were a, a chicken. Yeah, she say. was cool. Oh, you satisfied it, and Willie's like, I knew it. I just wanted to know if that was it because I thought this up the other day when I was sitting there high, and I'm like, I bet Catrice wanted to do mushrooms with that one, and then he waited till this very moment. He is an idiot. Okay, whatever. But <laughs> 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 you're hilarious, Willie. But I, know, I mean, that's my, I, I could just see how that can play out. I'm just, I'm not even lying. He heard things. I don't know what that means, but he heard things. <laughs> he heard things. Right. Really he's trying to make a situation. Really, <laughs> I got a story. I mean, listen, I got stories. That was the next question that was waited till the end of the interview for. Ooh. From Ismail Gadamsi. Tell me what is funny it? stories about Willie. It was more of a request. Ooh, about Willie. I ain't got no funny stories about Willie, I don't think. I'm trying to think, man. I got a story about Willie, Minnesota be careful Vikings about what you fucking type on camera that shows up on the screen. That's all I'm going to say in response to Golden Jenny. <clears throat> um, uh, trying to think. Funny stories about Willie. There ain't no funny stories about Willie. Really, is a serious dude. Really, is a serious dude. <laughs> really, is too serious, man. Like, there's not really much nothing funny about him. Like, he'll check your ass. Like, I think he checks somebody last. Look at the king score. Like, I don't know. You know, Willie's a straight up dude. I don't, I'm trying to figure out if he's he's funny, but I don't think anything funny happened to him. Like, I don't. I never seen it. <laughs> like Willie, definitely. He's too serious. Yeah. He joking, but he's serious. You understand? Like, you up there punchlining and shit, but he, he's serious, dude. He works hard, man. So I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I ain't got nothing, man. Not for Willie. I got funny stories for me, but I ain't got nothing for Willie. I got crazy. I got what crazy are funny, stories. What are funny stories about you? Oh, my God. Mm. All right. Quick one. Like, yeah, I'm going to get to this. This is a Minnesota Viking one. This is some exclusive stories. This is, there is a Minnesota Viking 2005. There was a controversy called the boat ride. What it was, was a we had fucking threw a party. The rookies threw a party. And they rented two fucking uh, boats, like huge, like just big ass boats that you can go in there and have parties, whatever. In the in like October, so it was like late Minnesota. It's freezing. They're in it. Gosh, rippers. 
lo and behold, nothing really even. I'm not going to get into too many crazy stuff because ain't no snitching. But and just say it was, it was, it was, it was crazy that the things of that nature was going down. So I'm in there like I'm crazy. Like it's crazy because it's like it's kind of fucked up because you're trapped because they take the boats out on the water and it's kind of getting kind of uncomfortable. But you're on the water, so you're like now you're outside, kind of like calling your homie, like yo, this shit's wild there. Like it was really getting down. Dock up. All of a sudden, two days later, everything's in the paper about what happened. These strippers, these, but they probably bringing in fits, prostitutes. What happened was these bartenders that were hired were like 19. One of them tells her little brother what she saw. Her little brother tells the priest in confessional. The confessional priest tells the media. The media goes crazy. That's serious. Just get some. Now, peep how fucking stupid. Yes, exactly. Now, peep how stupid this is. Right out of everything that happened, nothing was happened. No players were really charged. And one player got charged with touching a stripper, but on water, which is illegal. Is that really illegal? In Minnesota, it is apparently. Yo, I love the dumb lies. $75 fine for like probably the state trying to charge them with all types of wild shit. They found out real quickly how dumb it was because it was like these dudes had lawyers. Like this team was like, what are you talking about? Like, you know what I mean? But there was like, they thought they had thought they had imported these girls. They had solicited and all that shit. And actually didn't even happen. They were just a bunch of strippers. It was a party, you know, wild shit. Da, 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 you know. I mean, but it, but they tried to get it. Football players. Mm-mm. But, like, it was, like, they tried to get, like, everybody there. And I remember being, like, on IR and not having my name involved, but I was there. <laughs> you no, know what I'm saying? Because I was... It, it's just crazy to think about how that could play out. Yeah. Media just how it could all play out. You're just thinking it's just a normal little thing, and then next thing you know, it goes crazy. Um, you know, or, like... Because of bad like, reporting. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, like... <laughs> like... Music-wise, I remember, like, nothing really happened to me funny. Like, I remember being, like, in Queens and performing in front of, like, damn near nobody. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you know what I mean? Little things like that, playing your lumps. And then, like, I don't think that was funny because I actually don't really care. I'm like, I don't care. I'll train up here. I don't give a shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is what I'm doing. But nothing, like, really, you know, stories of, like, music funny. But I got a lot of, like, street shit, da 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 those stories. Those are like those are crazy. Those are the, we do we can be all night with that shit, but I don't know, man. It's crazy. Those are definitely not the kinds of stories I really want to talk about on camera. Yeah, in those are city. those are the ones. That's what I was getting ready to say. But those get too. Dude, I live in NDG. Get... I live like <laughs> Kusiluk Road is a walking distance from my crib. Let's not be talking about the. Uh... No, absolutely not. Nah, I'm like <laughs> I mean, Coast St. Luke, Coast St. Luke was actually on the flip side of everything. It was good it was great man I, like, I actually liked walking around there i like the i like the supermarkets nearby my my of course my neighbors were you know were ebrew and all that and they were cool dude my boy yoni like you know what i mean he smoked like it was cool like there was some good people around there you know what i mean they stayed low but then dog at the same time i remember real quick i remember being on the balcony or not the balcony on a stoop on trinity ave and gunshots ring off like I forgot the the two streets over from Trinity, 
like dude got popped right i mean i'm out there like pop 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 i'm like and i'm shocked because i'm like that's gunshots i know it is and i'm like wow like it was my first time i really <laughs> was in you know coach st luke vicinity and that so what's crazy my, that is place it's like, is like old, yeah. just to give context it's like an old person area like but it has a lot of new condo-y kind of shit happening there yeah, absolutely so it's like it's, it's strange to crazy. me that it would happen yeah. there because like that was like where i like as a kid grew up well, and went to the be. library yeah 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 right over there and by there the fields like, and shit fucking nothing there like there just wasn't shit there like there is and now it's these huge modern houses out of nowhere this like yeah it's, it's a serious, different area but it, i mean it was quite yeah we'll talk about those stories off here <laughs> that uh wild shit happened to cope but yeah serious though but yo honestly yeah, i don't know if anyone else has any more questions but now would be like a great time to ask like yo katrizi you're a fascinating fucking dude for real I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Dog. I mean, talk, it's my man. pleasure. Like, I mean, first yeah, of all, like, I didn't even know you were in the NFL, so that was like a huge surprise. Like, just okay. Like, that's the kind of surprise as an interviewer. It's like, on the one hand, you're hard to Google, so I don't feel that bad. But um, yeah, <clears throat> how long has he cool. been doing music? I uh, since time. Basically, that's just the answer. Man, since the time, man. Yeah, since oh, in time, Canada, man. how long have you been doing oh, music? 2000, uh, 2017. 2017 was my first track I was doing it in Canada. So I dropped, I mean, I dropped Selassie Soldier here. So mm. it's pretty much you could tell me, man, my first solo album was dropped in Canada. Really sure. so. no, I definitely appreciate that. Um, I'm just waiting to see if other questions come in, but now nah, no, I think you're super interesting. Your brain's like fucking powerful. Like I like the fact that again, like you just waited till the time was right and you went with it. And the album sounds wonderful. Like I listened to it a few times, that. and I was like, nah, this is cool. It's versatile. It says a lot. I wrote, repping virtue. That's what I felt. Yes. That's what I, I appreciate felt that. after hearing that. I appreciate that. that. I don't know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I try to write something quirky based on whatever I can think of from what I found, but that was, that was the most powerful thing I could find about your brand. Um, I appreciate it. Are there any other good rappers from Buffalo that are not? Besides, yeah. I mean, man, I mean, actually fuck. There's a few men, like my man product, my man valid seven one six. Um, these are, these are people on the underground that are really nice that, that been doing it for a while. Um, but legitly, man, you know what I'm saying? Guys, uh, like Jay Skis and those guys, they, they would drum work. That's still Griselda too, right? That's, uh, that's the kind of way. Mm. Um, you got Che Noah, who is, uh, she's from Buffalo. She's with, um, yeah, she's uh, Trust, yeah, 38 Special and all them. Like Yo, 38 she's from Special Buffalo. is so cool. Yeah, 38 Specials Ill. Yeah, 38 Specials Ill. And he got to connect with Buffalo. Like I said, Chay Noir, she's from Buffalo, man. She's ill. Shout out to Chay Noir. And, um, yeah, that's that's probably, we got a lot of people who are still, like, on the underground, too, that are still coming up hard. Like, Griselda's put the, put kind of, like, the battery out there and kind of, like, gave us a voice. And, like I said, I mean, it wasn't, like, I'm, I wasn't, you know, trying to drop music because they did, but at the same time, me saying I'm from Buffalo does bring bells a lot more now because of it, mm. right? So, 
you know, there's a lot of good rappers beside them, but like I like I said, Chinoa, those those come to mind. You know, a couple of our boys, Ballad Product, those are those are personal dudes, but yeah, guys like that. Um, so Willie said that his DJ played for you at the ICC. Have you played with any other DJs? Yo, to keep it G, no. No, I mean, yeah, actually, no, I played with DJ, I'm sorry, I played with DJ Ron in, in Richmond, Virginia, but that was, like, real quick. That was mm -hmm. a quick set. But as far as one, like, nah, I mean, real talk, no. You know, I can't wait to really do it, do it again this summer. Yeah, I feel Real that. DJ, get it popping, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm itching to get on stage, bro. Like, yeah, I hope this ain't no game with it at all, so. I feel like a lot's going to come in the future, my man. But y'all, thank you for coming that, through, too. for real. Thank, thank you, man. Thank you. Thank y'all for watching. Um, it's really cool to see y'all stick it through and, and give so much love. Like, that number hugged 15 for, like, two hours, which is pretty fucking a testament to you and your storytelling. Wow, more man, so I appreciate that. I barely fucking talked to you in that period. They're like, oh, Holden's talking now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> nah, that's all I love. I appreciate it, man. Thank y'all for everybody, man. Literally, you know. Like I said, give my I'm gonna give you my flowers, man. You really put the groundwork in. I just, I just, like I said, I just linked up with you on that other platform. So I'm glad that that other platform I have because then that's when I first found you. Mm. And then I was also blown away too. I was also I'm like, yo, the dude is making, like, yo, this is ill. I love this kind. And then when you did, obviously, that interview, I was also in the cut, just listening to. You know what I mean? And couldn't wait to to link up and and have a better conversation. And say, you know, you you doing you on your way too, man. You have a an amazing, amazing platform, an amazing you know foundation going. So keep that yeah, shit up. Honestly, man. that's all just because people keep coming and then showing love, and then we just yeah, keep doing that's it. Right. I mean, I know what I signing up for. I knew how long it was going to take when I got into it. So like, um, yeah. whatever the day to day is, whatever. But like, you know, you, you just find those little wins like ismail is like the truest montrealist fan ever like this guy's in montreal and he's just shout out to him. a fucking fan and people be like there's no, there's no fan to the city i'm like my guy i have empirical proof <laughs> that ismail bought cb max album and he spun buddha child's track to like this thing and then yeah, I'm like, fuck all y'all ismail's in the city so right, it's like it's like right. beautiful to, to see that like just to be a yeah, part right. of it anyhow I appreciate all y'all. We're going to start the raid very soon. But before we do, thank y'all for watching. Make sure to, uh, if you're in the future watching, you're thanked too. It's not just the live people. But like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. Special thanks to the patrons. Mm -hmm. Ismail Gadamsi, Chris Potter, Jonathan Barnes, DJ Black, Eric, and Linda Williams. And Scribble, the dope. They support what we do. And if you want to support what we do and you're on Amazon, uh, sorry, you're on Twitch and you have Amazon Prime, it's free to subscribe. And in the future, uh, patreon.com slash behind that suit. I'm fucking terrible at this. Anyway, I appreciate yeah, all of y'all. <laughs> Do you have any last words? Man, shout out to everybody, man. CoachTreezy.com. At CoachTreezy on IG. You know, CoachTreezy.com, obviously, man. We're coming hard. And I said, I'm Slicey Soldier on all platforms. Mm. You know what I mean? And uh, like I said, man, we're getting right, man. We're doing it right. We're doing it right. And uh, stay tuned. We got some singles dropping real, real soon. My boy and Willie played All Praises Do earlier, so. Big salute to everybody. Keep on supporting, man. Much love to everyone. Straight up, man. That is. Shout out to you, old. That yeah, is, appreciate y'all. That's the fire. So live long and prosper, everyone. Mm -hmm.